Tuesday, February the 8th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Gonna get our buddy Eric on the line in just a minute and talk about everything happening in the world of the NFL. It's Super Bowl week, but there's a bunch of news that's not related to the Super Bowl. Tom Brady retired. Coach Brian Flores, former Coach Brian Flores, is suing the NFL. Claims of racism and um, all sorts of weird things that he was asked to do or you know apparently asked to do we're going to get into all of that stuff and then we're going to recap fantasy football from this year we're going to go through the positions we're going to talk about some of the players who had great years but maybe players that we don't want to target next year maybe some of the players who had sneaky years this year that we may want to target next year it's always nice to take a look back while it's still fresh in your mind because we'll obviously next year leading up we'll do a bunch of fantasy previews and we'll all start doing our work but you want to sort of think about it now before it gets too far out of your mind to where you have to go back again and again and again so football with Eric Flores Brady and fantasy stuff then we get into horse racing we're going to go full card for Sam Houston Wednesday and Thursday remember they had a card cancel last week so they moved that full card to Wednesday this week So Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to run through the Sam Houston cards for you. We're also going to give you some Wednesday best bets for Tampa. We'll talk about the stable duel schedule. And then we'll get into the Book of Boba Fett, Episode 6, our deep dive with Matt Velasco. Just one episode left, so spoiler alert, we will get into everything that happened. We'll talk about how all the previous five episodes of the Book of Boba Fett, anything that may happen in the finale, other shows that involve it, other Star Wars stuff. So Everything Star Wars on a loaded Episode 6 Deep Dive Recap and Review The Book of Boba Fett On this episode of That's What G Said That is presented by BetterThan.Vegas Give them a follow right now um, BTV Bets on Twitter And turn those notifications on They they literally give you away money all the time Public props They'll make wagers They'll pick one of you out who just follows along Shares the tweets Likes some of the posts and they'll give you the wager. If that wager hits, you get to keep the money. They have a live stream schedule, free content. Every Monday and every Thursday, we preview the harness races from Woodbine Mohawk, set you up for the early pick five at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. Every Saturday morning, you have Pitches and Pints, which covers everything happening in the world of soccer, football, all over the world. Then we get into college basketball at 10 a.m. Eastern time with Cutting Nets. We preview the whole Saturday slate for college basketball. We've had 4th and Inches, which have been our NFL preview shows for every NFL game this year. We're going to have a loaded one on Saturday to preview the Super Bowl. It's going to be right around 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. All of our different member uh, members of the crew on BTV going to give you their thoughts, props, everything they're going to be playing for the big game. On Sunday, that's going to be Saturday night with that preview at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, immediately following the uh, the thoughts on the early pick five from Woodbine Mohawk. So much happening. If there's big events in tennis, big events in wrestling, big events in golf, we're going to start talking a little more NBA basketball, lots of horse racing, you name it, they've got it there. All of it's free, all that content, wanting to help you become a better better over at BTV Bets, better than dot Vegas. We're going to start talking some horse racing. We've got some Tampa, some Sam Houston to discuss.
horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current day's odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Let's run through the Stable Duel schedule for this week. So Tuesday, February the 8th, you've got Mahoning Valley, Penn National, and two different games at parks. For Mahoning Valley's contest, it only costs 3 bucks to enter, $300 guaranteed in prizes. And then at parks, there's the double up, and for 25 bucks, you can play into a pool that will be at least 1500 Wednesday, Gulfstream, Penn National and Tampa with the $100 double up. We'll give you a couple plays here for Tampa on uh, in just a moment. Then on Thursday, you've got the afternoon delight. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. Afternoon delight with Turk at Gulfstream. 10 bucks to enter, 2000 in prizes. That's on Thursday, February the 10th. You've also got a double up game at Gulfstream or the $25 double entry at Charlestown. On Friday... There's Gulfstream, Santa Anita, and Sam Houston. Don't forget about our Friday morning show 
every Friday, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time with Matt DeSantis and Barry Spears. This weekend in Stable Duel, where we preview big contests for the weekend, and then we give out some of our best bets for both Friday and for Saturday. Speaking of Saturday, there's the Tampa Slam for the Sam F. Davis. 50 bucks to enter, 30000 in cash prizes at Tampa on Saturday over at Santa Anita. $50 entry game for 2500 And then on Sunday, Gulfstream Park, a couple different options. Santa Anita has a $30 game. Sam, uh, Santa Anita has a couple different games for you on Sunday. So we'll have plenty of help for you all week long. To get those entries in and play, race, win, one while you're handicapping, you need to go to DRF Bets because for two more months, you can still get free formulator. I mentioned how that's the main pass performance, the only pass performance I use when I'm handicapping. I need formulator because it makes my handicapping so much easier. I like to watch a lot of replays. They're one click, boom, to the replays. Then you can take one click and you look at the charts, one click to the trainer stats and info, pedigree information. Everything you need is right there, and they're giving you formulator past performances now when you play with DRF Bets. So if you sign up right now, there's an incredible promotion. They're gonna give you. You're basically gonna start when you deposit your 250. You're gonna turn that into 510 and 10 free formulator cards. So for 250 bucks, go and use the promo code Winning. They're gonna give you a 10 dollar free bet. Then you deposit your 250. They're going to match the 250 bonus immediately. They're going to send you 10 free DRF formulator cards that you can use anytime that you want. And then every 50 bucks that you bet after that, after the 250 is done and after your 10 cards are gone, every 50 bucks that you bet, you'll get another card. If you're someone who already has a DRF bets account, you can use those credits now for formulator cards. If you're playing the races, now you're going to be able to use that just to get the past performances for the next time. So you won't have to worry about spending on the past performances, the racing forms, or anything like that. Incredible promotion. DRF bets. Get on over and take a look. Let's get on over to Tampa Bay Downs for Wednesday. I mentioned there's a stable dual game if you want to get involved. We've got a couple plays for you. Two early in the card, one late. First, second, and race number seven. So... In race number one, I'm looking at the four in here, Leah Me Alone. So, this horse is coming in, was coming in from Finger Lakes, showed up at Tampa on January the 12th, had not raced since November the 8th at Finger Lakes. So, comes to Tampa, tries an open 10 claiming group. That just was a little too tough of a group. They're just trying to figure out where she fits. So, she's going to make her second start off of a couple month break. It's going to be second start over this racetrack at Tampa. She's going to take a pretty big drop from open 10 claiming to 5,000 non-winners of two on the year. She really fits the conditions of this race well. These are for fillies and mares, four-year-olds and up, which have not won two races since August the 9th. And you look at her two wins were in September and on July the 28th. Fits very, very well in here. Has more tactical speed than she was able to show last time out. Leah Me Alone is 10 to 1 on the morning line. If we got anything around 6 to 1, I'd make a win wager there on Leah Me Alone. Race number two, I'm looking at the four in here, Roaring River, who has put together three pretty solid races back to back to back now. And all three of those races have come for the Bennett Barn. 
You're now going to go third start of the form cycle Took a couple months off from October to middle of December Came back in December, was beaten in nose against 16 non-3 claimers Going 7 furlongs Then came right back at the same level Won easily, a nice effort Horse has done some good work for the new barn Third start of the form cycle Can sit a little bit, likes Tampa Proven over this course The number 4, Roaring River, who's 6-1 to one on the morning line Anything around 4 will make a win wager there And we move to race number 7 And... I'll go up on Maiden 16s, uh, going a mile on the turf course here. I thought the five dancing sold out was one who would really take well to the grass. The dam was a four-time winner on the turf. She's produced two foals to race. One of them is a multiple turf winner. The sire sold out was a grade three winner and multiple graded stakes placed on the turf. You're going to get first-time Lasix for a new barn. That's very, very good. First start off the claim. Lots of things to like about the five dancing sold at. A, a good claim barn immediately claims this horse, stretches them out, goes long on the turf, and then gives them Lasix there. The number five dancing sold at for me, who is six to one on the morning line. Anything around four will make a win wager there on Wednesday at Tampa. So those are my three plays for Tampa's Wednesday, as long as we can get those prices, right? If, if one of those horses gets hammered and bet down below what we want, I don't play them. And you have to be disciplined as a gambler. If you think a horse should be five to one and they're five to two, you shouldn't bet them. And if they win, it's okay. There's plenty more opportunities later. We have to be disciplined because it's really hard. It's hard to win. It's hard to beat the takeout. And if you're just you're not worried about value and you're not trying to find out the best way to maximize your opinion, trust your opinion. You know, trust your opinion. And when you're right, stick by it. Let's get to Sam Houston for Wednesday So this was that card that was rolled over From last week that they had cancelled we'll, uh, we'll run through The card for February The 9th Race number 1 is a 5,000 beaten claimer I looked towards the 8 In here, they're going to go 6.5 furlongs On the dirt course, I went to the 8 Euro Exit, who broke kind of Inward, was last, was slow away, was about 6 off Two, and that was against 25 non four. So this is a drop in for the 5,000 restricted claimers That was from the rail Euro exit, two starts back was fourth Behind a horse named Blue's Gold Who came out of that race to win a 25 non four. I think it's a really good spot For Euro exit in here The eight, the two electoral Takes a big drop down in class two I have eight two kind of on top in a, uh, Of a couple others that I might include The six, Messiah, who's a total wild card Off the bench, has not raced since August of 2020 but comes off of a big win against First Level Allowance Company on the turf last time we saw him. From a class standpoint, absolutely he fits. We just don't know if he wants the dirt at all, and we haven't seen him in a year and a half. The seven major Brown. The two-back race at Oaklawn, I mean, the last two races were both at Oaklawn. You know, you're having a horse who's come three. I've been at Oaklawn, Remington, part of that. So, no doubt coming in off of tougher races, and the two-back effort was good. My issue was that it was... Over a sloppy racetrack So was it the sloppy racetrack That made this guy You know run so well that day Major Brown for connections alone Is at the very least underneath The number 4 home view would be another one If you were looking to go deeper Or looking to use one under Was a runner up in a similar spot Last time out back on January the 20th So I have 8-2 on top 6-7-4 if you want to go deeper Or look for some other horses to use under Second race Sammy Houston I'm looking towards the outside. Uh, Comedian is the horse to, for me to beat. I think Comedian 
was on the grass last time out, gets back to the dirt where he's just better. Two starts back, that was in a tough race against first level allowance company. I think it just feels like a much better spot for him in here. So I'm going to lean comedian over the number three big money machine who can come from off the pace a little bit in here. And I did think that there were a couple that would want to show some speed. I know you're going to get the 1A to flash some speed. You're going to get Dobbins G, the 9 from the outside to flash speed. Close to midnight shouldn't be too far out of it. But pretty versatile from the 4 also. 7-3-4, how I had him stacked. The 6 shade of victory, second start off the bench. They'll likely be right up on the engine also stretching back out from six and a half furlong, so maybe a little flyer to use this horse underneath, at least as a horse who can hang around for a price, but uh, we'll have some other pace to deal with, I think, in here. Seven, three, four, six in race two as we move along to race number three. The three, DeCoach's wife was four wide battling, took the lead, opened up, and I thought ran really, really well on January the 14th, and that was the first start for Villafranco, any improvement off of that would make this one really, really tough. Finish right in front of the seven. Shocks little Ava, who was sort of three deep and in between horses. I didn't mind the effort from her either. Thought that was pretty good. So three and seven will be in the mix for me. The six Tay-Tay's baby comes in from Prairie Meadows. And this barn it just makes the big drop down in class. It's, it's kind of tough to look... Not at least take a second look at a horse like this Off of those connections taking a big drop down in class We just don't know how good she is Off of that one effort back in June And the five pow wow Pow 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 Second off the bench Dropping in class from maiden 15s Now down to maiden 7500s I'd imagine they are going to try to get A little more speed out of this one too These connections have had an incredible meet I'm You know the eight lots of gold Adds the blinkers here I just, that was the race last time out that he was supposed to win. He took the big drop from Maiden uh, maiden Specials to Maiden 15s and was on the lead and then just stopped. And now you take another big drop down in class? I don't know. These are the type of horses that scare me off as a short price favorite. So I'm playing against the eight lots of gold. I'm going to go three, five, six, and seven in some of the exotics. I stacked them the uh, three, six, seven, five. Race number four, the... Six horse, light shift At a big price, finished third last time out Was sort of involved early That was his first start since November Her first start since November So she's going to go second start off the short break She was close up And she was three deep She kind of got pushed Like pushed back And she really did keep trying I I like the effort From light shift I'm going to use her Along with the two Pink Posse in all of the exotics Pink Posse gets back to the grass Underneath them and in deeper spots The four telling time Back to a turf sprint And the eight curious sensation Who will try the grass for the first time Her damn one on the turf So she could have a a little turf pedigree there The nine think it's the donation Has some speed but I think the draw Could be a little tough for her With some other pace possibilities in here Six, two, four, eight in the fourth, moving along to race number five. I'm going to single in all exotics here with the eight Texas Skywalker, who had a tough trip, was um, kind of pinched back on the inside and had to angle around, had to move through a, a really tight spot and tried hard all the way. The number eight, 
Texas Skywalker. Give this one a look, and this will be my single in all exotics there. The number two, gold and silver, I will use underneath. The five, uh, eyes on deck, first time gelding. Or the four eyes on deck, first time gelding, and the five, the first time starter. Now we got a show. I would use the eight over the two, four, five, but I'm going to single the eight in pick fours and, uh, you know, pick fives, any rolling exotics that you play. Let's go to race number six, start of a late pick four, seven furlongs on the main track, first level allowance runners here. I'm looking at the seven, Intimidation, who is just one for 10, but was a very good second behind Sam's time. Last time out, and Sam's time has won two in a row, and that's a very nice horse. You see you see Convention um, last year in front of Intimidation a couple times. Convention tried Stakes Company after those races at Sam Houston. I think Intimidation comes out of some really tough races. Now going to go third start off the long, long layoff. This guy could come rolling late if the race shapes up for him. The number nine DC hero is cross-entered in a, uh, a couple different spots, so it'll be interesting to see where this horse ends up. We, and because that's a, a speed horse who at least could impact the pace a bit in here. The number four, I will also include Diano's Cape. First start off the claim for Caldwell with Luzzy jumping aboard, stepping up off the claim, but was competitive against first level allowance company, which is about three and four starts back. You've got the three, Mao Mao, who's trying to win three in a row. We can understand why they would take the next step up. Maxi Moon has been in pretty good form as of late coming in from Hawthorne. They're just going to try to figure out where he stacks up. So they take a shot and, you know, it looks like a pretty tough spot, but Broberg has a good idea of where these horses should fit. And, you know, Decline, that that race behind Decline in Crazy Legs Hurst last time out at Sam Houston was good. So this is probably... A logical spot. You're going to go second time here at Sammy H. So you will show some improvement. Seven, four, three, one. Have a plan. Wouldn't shock. I just like some others more. Seven, three, four, one. Intimidation, the one to play. Let's get to race number seven. Started your late pick three there at Sam Houston. Looking at the number seven, Tolanda who two starts back ran into a horse named Optionality, who won back-to-back stakes races and then was second in the Martha Washington. Most recently, Tolanda was favored and just showed some speed and then going six and a half furlongs, didn't finish, put a line right through it. You get the cutback for an excellent barn and top-notch connections at 8-1. to one. Tolanda will use along with the eight rolling chrome, who can pass horses. Now you get the cutback and... The six majestic ways. Maybe the one to catch. It's hard sometimes to project with those Delta races, but the very least majestic ways should be in the mix, I think, throughout. So I'm going to go seven, eight, six in race number seven in the exotics. Let's move to race number eight. Mile on the turf course, Texas bred maidens, four and five-year-olds. The number seven, Moro Savage. Has a very good turf race back in September, and that's a lot more that can be said for most of these. The three whiskey over ice is hands down the horse to beat. We just haven't seen him since July, but if he shows up with anything close to the race that he ran against Open Company at Louisiana Downs, he beats this field. Two starts back against Texas Bread, Maiden Special Eights. He was second, just beaten at Lone Star, going seven and a half. That race would win this. And before that, he had two races on the slop. That you can just put a line right through. His only other grass race, he had a ton of trouble. He's the horse to beat, no doubt about it. 
The 7 Moro Savage I just like that other grass effort so I will include Has a little bit more recent form Hasn't run in 2 months but that's you know, We saw him in December Not like Whiskey Over Ice Who was back in July The 10 Causeway Storm Steps up from the 25 Claimers it's, I mean it's probably not a step up though It's an open 25 claimer To this Texas bred Mile on the turf it's a good spot It's a good claim and a good spot to put him in 7-3-10 in the 8 That's Sam Houston We move along to race number 9 At Sammy Houston Looking at the 5 Papa Justice coming off that big win At Sunland I think you give him a shot Right back feeling good The 1 hunk of a hit Will probably include in some spots This is a horse who should be able to save all the ground And takes a drop in class coming in from uh, The 7500 non-3s Last time out Part of a favored entry The three Mighty Merle Second off the bench Second time for Scott Young Moved a little early last time out Pretty good effort from Merle Who won the only time going a mile On the dirt The four secret Blarney is pretty logical Coming in off that runner up effort last time out And then to the outside The ten toe tapping Luke Who does have some pretty good speed Positional speed I'm a, I'm a little worried about him getting hooked wide But I think he could be in the mix And I I always prefer horses with the speed, you know. It, from a class standpoint, I think he fits. From a pace standpoint, he's you know he's getting some class relief here, and he's got some speed. He just has to work out a trip. He's going to be a price. I can make excuses for some and and build reasons to use horses like that if they're going to be prices. Five, one, three, four, ten combos of horses. I'm going to be using there on Wednesday over at Sam Houston. So we're going to get to the Thursday racing from Sam Houston in just a moment But before we do, I want to let you know a little bit about Sarah Candles So you want to set the mood You're looking for something all natural Soy wax, non-toxic baby Scents for every season Now don't be afraid baby, just spell it out And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm -hmm. Promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase. Those all-natural soy wax candles, free from toxins, free from carcinogens, no pollutants. If your friends, your family members, anyone you know likes candles, let them know about Sarah. They're healthier for you. They're better for you. And because of the wax they use... You actually don't have to buy as many over and over You get a better burn You get a better bang for your buck C-E-R-A Candles.com Sarahcandles.com Let's get into Sam Houston For Thursday We're looking at February the 10th And in race number one We have Texas bred Maiden $15,000 claimers Phillies Amir's Four and five year olds Five and a half furlongs The distance I like the two My racing heart Who had a fast start But might have been hooked four wide So they ended up taking back And they just couldn't ever come on again She's got a lot more speed than that She's drawn down towards the inside I think if she breaks well She's the one they'll all have to catch in here The four Bailey Ann is a first time starter And the dam was a two time winner The lone Sib is a three time winner The three farms finale With the blinkers coming off Those would be the other two I use in here I'm okay with playing against Woohoo Let's go two over three and four here In race one the second does begin the early pick four $15,000 claimers Five furlongs on the turf course here Super Brady's the horse to beat Why is he in for 15 After 
a really nice middle to the end of part of 2021 that seems a little weird to me, or maybe that they're not quite as confident in how he's doing right now. I'm not positive, but uh, he if he's not doing great, there are a couple other sharp turf sprinters in here, like the four tough Char- Charlie, who kind of makes sense. This is where he fits. He just beat 15 claimers. He's had a couple months off. He comes right back. He's proven at Sam Houston, loves this trip. You know that he can show some speed. He can sit off a little bit. So I like the four. The one, Agent McGee, also comes in off that nice recent win against 10 claimers. The rail draw concerns me a little bit. But I'll go one four, trying to beat the two Super Brady as uh, we move along. Shout out to Tom Brady. We're going to talk a little bit about him in a minute with Eric. Second leg of the early pick four is in race three. So in the third race, you go maiden, ten claimers, five and a half furlongs the distance. This is a total spread out race for me. I don't really have any strong opinion. Three, four, I'm against the two. That's my opinion. So I'll use the three, the five, and the seven in a lot of places. I'll use the four and the eight in a couple other spots. But no twos for me. I'm trying to beat the short price here, and that's why I'll be spreading out using some of the others who I think will be better prices. In race number four, the three crazy legs Hirsch is sort of the reason why I will spread out there because I'm going to single crazy legs Hirsch here who completely missed the break last time out. It was about seven or eight lengths off. The other seven runners in that race were all within two lengths. And Crazy Legs Hirsch came rolling and just missed. Two starts back, he was behind Fairway Magic, who has won five of his last eight, has earned 90 buyers in the la- plus in the last two. And then Favorable Outcome, who's actually a grade two winner, has earned 500,000 plus. That's who he was facing on December the 7th. I think it's a great spot for Crazy Legs Hirsch. It's an evenly matched group, and that's why I like to single, because the three, the four, the one, the six... I could see any of them winning, even the 7 DC hero who we mentioned was cross-entered on Wednesday. But that's why I like to lean the 3 when I have a strong opinion in a competitive race where I think a lot of others might use 3 or 4. I'm singling the 3 here. As we move to race number 5, Maiden Special Weights, 5 furlongs on the turf course. The 4 hooves your daddy will try the turf I don't know if I love the turf as much for him as I'd like maybe the five furlong distance. He was involved throughout, sitting a nice trip, kind of loomed up. It was kind of really trying hard. I didn't think it was that bad of an effort for Hooves Your Daddy, who got action in the debut. Fours on my tickets. The three, Wilton, steps up off the maiden 25. But again, this is not the strongest maiden special weight race in the world. The six, Lulos, is for sure the horse to beat. The eight, Hard Candy, probably the other most likely winner in the race. If just can repeat anything close to that race back in November, going five furlongs on the turf course. And you can excuse the other turf race because it was going long. Four, three, six, eight. We get to race number six. Seven furlongs on the main track, 15,000 non-two claimers. The five smack attack comes into the Scott Young barn. Very good with new acquisitions. I'm able to excuse that last race on maybe probably the last couple races, honestly. They were in a little bit tougher. This feels like a good spot for Smack Attack. The three, Kingston's gold, third off the bench. Probably sits right off. I'd love to see the one violin maker try to get a little uh, aggressive from the inside because of that draw and shove a little bit. 5-3-1 in race number six as we move to the seventh race. Five furlongs on the turf course. I love the four magical soul who's now going to go into the barn of Clinton Stewart. That are a very nice start to the meet so far. You can put a line, even though the race was good last time out, it was going longer. And, and this horse is 
better. This Philly's better going shorter on the turf, going five. You'll see a win against first level allow again like open allowance runners. That's a tough race up at Woodbine. The third there was in the first start in a few months. You can excuse some of the synthetic races because she just doesn't seem to like it on the synthetic. What's wrong with those Gulfstream Park sprints towards the bottom of the page? Number four, Magical Soul, second off the bench, first off the claim for a good claiming barn, and they're going to cut back in distance. The number eight will be on a lot of my tickets. That's Quick, 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 who I think should sit nicely and will enjoy the return to the turf. You have the one, Chikara, who you can probably excuse the two-back race when they miss the break, and, and then you're stuck with some pretty good efforts. Factual is the other part of the entry who it's tough to really be too hard on on that one. Factual was just in a really tough race last time out. 481 the 2 Tis Magic will show some speed from the inside but we'll see if they get the kind of trip that they would want. The 8th race kicks off your late daily double. The number 4 Mr. LBJ is 15 to 1 on the morning line. I'd be surprised if he is that price but if he is, let's jump right in. He had a fine start on January the 28th. He was inside, kind of in between horses. He took back about four off. He was in the two path to the outside. He made a three-wide bid up into contention. He was third at the top of the stretch before tiring. Mr. LBJ in a good spot, cutting back and doesn't face any monsters in here. The three ultra specials, probably the one to beat. He outfinished the seven. He's a prince. Those are probably both uses and exotics. The one... Genomic takes the huge drop-in class. I mean, this horse starts out with basically my name, G-E-N-O. I'm G-I-N-O. So, Genomic, 4371, how I had him stacked. That's a big drop-down in class for the one. In the ninth race, at Sam Houston. Maiden special weights going a mile on the turf course. I'm looking at the number nine in here. Cha. Pace factor. Feels like the one to catch and stretching out. The 10 reunification has a couple siblings that are stakes placed on the turf so I think this one should enjoy jumping on the grass you've got the four luck is fickle who's the one to beat coming in from fairgrounds for Asmussen the six girls got game has a fine second on the turf back in September and then you've got the seven Eileen Gray who's another one that's I mean would she be a shock no she's probably not going to be the best price though I won't have her all over the place but at the very least she's in under four six seven nine ten but I stacked them with uh, 9, 10, 4, 6, 7. So that is Sam Houston for Thursday. We're now going to jump into our conversation, NFL, with Eric. We talk about Brian Flores and everything happening with that lawsuit. Then we jump into Tom Brady and his retirement, and we recap fantasy football this year. We talk about what the points looked like after um, we break each position down, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, Who should we target next year? Who do we maybe want to think about fading? We'll recap everything that happened in fantasy football. A fun NFL conversation with Eric. Coming up on the biggest game of the NFL season, but we're not going to talk a whole lot of Super Bowl in this segment with Eric. We are going to talk mainly about what happened this year in fantasy football, but there are a couple really big news stories in the world of the NFL. So Eric joins us to talk all about them. He'll help us out later in the week with a big Super Bowl preview. We'll talk a lot of props and we'll break that day, that game down from all the angles. We're also going to have a, a fourth and inches show working on it now, Eric. I think we might do a, a Saturday fourth and inches 
We can do a big long show on Saturday And then we can replay it Sunday morning I think I'm, I'm working on that now Because mo- a lot of people do stuff Super Bowl parties A bunch of stuff throughout the day So it might be nice to just kind of Already have our show done on Saturday And then we can replay it again Sunday morning For anyone who's who's kind of interested So maybe we'll, maybe we'll work on that How you doing brother? Doing good man A little weird today But you know Doing Because we're good. recording on Sunday And there's no football it's new yep. right now. It's three o'clock, three thirty Eastern time. We would literally be right smack in the middle of right now. All of the early games would be getting ready to end. Trying and to sweat out a uh, Davis Mills. A Davis door Mills door. backdoor cover down by fourteen right now. Trying to cover ten and a half. You know, something like that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's like it's a little different. Um, you know. Me and the girl. We watch. What do we watch? We watched that new show on Amazon Reacher, which was shockingly good because I. My TV watching, like, I don't watch any television shows. And, like, this show is actually decent. Like, it, it wraps me in. So we're kind of nice. slowly grinding our way through that. So Nice. Cool. Uh, well, the NFL, man, even when there's not games this last week, it, it's crazy. Nobody was even talking about the Super Bowl. Tom Brady retired, and then hours later, that wasn't even news anymore with with all this Brian Flores stuff, man. This is... uh. This is some appalling kind of eye-opening stuff that was in uh, a lot of these reports and it's not you know the the racism in every, in any industry right hiring practices and stuff this isn't something that is new or or that is information that we didn't know but just like seeing and kind of hearing some of the ins and outs of what happened you sent me the text messages from Belichick that was just wow and you know you you, you feel bad for this guy who I mean, I don't know if he's going to get another job in the NFL with what he's doing here, but like he he doesn't care. He knows that this is what he has to do. And man, this is this is quite a story. Yeah, I mean, I'd be shocked if he got another job, but some stuff is bigger than just a job. And I give him respect. Um, there's no way when you look at what he had in Miami that he should not have a job. And you see these guys being hired. Um, same goes for Jim Caldwell. Jim Caldwell showed up at the Bears interview with a full-blown offense centered around Justin Fields, plays everything designed. And they hired Matt Eberflus, who has one of the best defensive tackles in the game, and DeForest Buckner, arguably the best middle linebacker, and couldn't stop the Jacksonville Jaguars in a must-win. Where you have Caldwell, who's won, won a Super Bowl as a coach, won a Super Bowl as an OC with Joe Flacco, and... Uh, Responsible for two of the best, two of the best three Lions season in history, and Stafford his best seasons under Caldwell. I mean, it's unfortunately it's a problem, and it's not going away until stuff and changes. It's one of those things where it's funny because, and and it doesn't always like this isn't always the best way to judge something, but the moment that Brian Flores got fired, everybody every other team was like, I want him as my coach. Every other team's fan bases said that, mm-hmm. right? Immediately they were like, What? He's fired? Go bring him to the Giants. Bring him to like yeah. they they were looking around like hmm I'll take him right now. Yeah. Um, it's man. I mean the like and and, and it, this is what's what's been hard um in sports with the way that you are being middle class does nothing for you right. You you can't ever get better if you're just like you're never gonna be really you're never gonna com- really improve your team if you're just like. 500 you have to either be really really good or really really bad to get better and and so it like you know it incentivizes you to be bad we I, I said like as a laker fan i know for six years in a row the lakers were tanking 
Like I, they, they would like bench all of their better players towards the end of the year. <laughs> and it ended up working out for the Lakers. They got LeBron and Anthony Davis. They ended up getting a title because of it, but it sucked for those seven years as a fan. And I'm always curious, like, what are those conversations like in the locker room or with like the owner and the coaches? It's like, Oh, Hey, by the way, we don't want to win. But I mean, like you think about it, they approached him to lose and he won. I know. And then they fired him for not making the playoffs. It's just what, what the hell is that? And the thing I feel it's kind of getting lost in all this is um, Ross, the owner of the um, the Dolphins. Dolphins, who told him, "Hey, you know, we want you to lose. I'm incentive you, incentive, incentive you for losing." He's a big investor in the Action Network, which is a big gambling company. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's something that's kind of getting a little bit lost. With the yeah. NFL is partnering with all these gambling sites now. They're they're leaning into it. They're talking to gambling on their shows. They're being sponsored by DraftKings and FanDuel and gambling websites. And you, you're absolutely right, Eric. Like this cannot when when gambling is such a an accepted part now. These are things that man, this is a it's like a slippery slope. These are these are tricky things to start getting into. And because we under like you understand why a team would want to not win their games, right? It makes sense for them. They'd want to get a, a better quarterback. They'd want to get better draft picks. But you can't tell a coach to go lose games. Like you can, you can, like I was saying with the Lakers, you can manipulate the board and put, put, you know, not put your best players out there and know that that you're not giving yourself the best chance to to win. But you cannot tell a coach or players to purposely try to lose or dictate the outcome of a game. But I mean, as someone that coaches kids, like you have to teach how to win. Absolutely. Like, and we saw it this year with the Chargers. The Chargers have so many bad habits from so many rounds too. Like from from just losing, it just showed up. Um, the fact that everyone's razzing the Lions because we don't have the the top pick, I honestly I don't care. You know, Campbell's trying to install the habit of winning, and when you look deep down in it, I. It's like 38% of players drafted actually have a meaningful input in, impact on an NFL roster. So this whole tanking just, you know, just absolutely doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't make sense. And you, you look at the end of the day, I mean, I'm trying to find the list of coaches that that have been hired. It's just like appalling that those guys have a job. All white retreads. Yeah. Yep. All I'm guys good. that have been that have had jobs and that have failed. Or that are not nowhere near the kind of upside or even proven success that Flores has had. Dude, yeah. this guy has been good with not much there. He doesn't have a quarterback. He has a guy who can't throw the ball down the field or on on, on the one half side of the field. And I mean, why doesn't Jim Caldwell have a coach, Jeff? You know what I mean? Like it's just mind-boggling to me. Bears, like I sire, like I said, hired Matt Eberflus, who was a train wreck in the Colts must win game. Broncos hired Hackett, and it's like, hey, you know, go get Aaron Rodgers. Um, Hackett, he was an OC for the Bills, disaster. OC for the Jaguars, disaster. Out of football, LaFleur gave him the job. LaFleur basically does everything, plus you have Aaron Rodgers. So, I mean, yeah, you know what we, I mean? We've it's seen like, this with guys that have been around Peyton Manning and stuff before, yeah. too. It's like you go other places, and what was it, Gase, right? Yeah. Like, people – 
it's it's not you. It's the quarterback. We've even seen it with Brady in recent years with New England. You know, it's like I don't think people gave Brady quite enough credit. Belichick is fantastic. He's an excellent coach. But look, this is this is sort of what Brady, what Belichick would have done many years without a Brady. Years mm-hmm. like this probably have yep. a good year, overachieve, make the playoffs, and then get crushed by real serious teams. A better team, yeah. And you know, then you look, like the Raiders went with Josh McDaniels. Like, what the hell is that? Like, Dude, why? McDaniels was an embarrassing. People forget how embarrassing his first tenure was. And then what he did to the Colts. He so he goes to the Broncos. What I think they started like six and zero with him when he when he was right off the bat. And so he starts just puffing his chest out, swinging his big thing around. He they beat the Patriots, and he was like really, you know, cheesing and popping off afterwards, like. You better be careful, man. And then they he was fired the next year after starting three and nine. I think yep. he drafted Tim Tebow, in, which is pretty insane that that they actually won a playoff game with Tim Tebow. And it is pretty like that is the like it's for as much crap as T, as like people will give Tebow. I actually give the crap to the people who who like were watching it every day at practice and and still put him in because once Tebow got in the game, he actually over would overachieve always. Like he'd still sort of do stuff that you're like, what the hell happened? But like that was that was what he won. I was listening to Brady Quinn talk about like people who were the guys on his team would watch during practice and be like, Tebow's gonna play. Yeah. Like, this guy's like- this guy's gonna play. This is the guy that like like you know, really? Like do you think this gives us our best chance to win? And yeah, and then- I don't you, Doug Peterson, like the this guy quit. This guy put in like. Remember all, what happened at the end of the the yeah. last the Eagles games where he laid yeah. down against the Cowboys. He, he took Hertz out and he put in their third string quarterback just to literally not even try to to like to lay down like, completely. That's like the fact he has a job. It's just it's disgusting. And I've said it before how the NFL is like a good old boys club, and that's what it is. And. The fact that Dude, they, they came, came out, out, they came, or is this what you're going to say? They they made a statement yeah. like hours after without like even investigating hours, anything. Two hours after, like exactly two hours after. It's like, what have you, what do you, you haven't investigated anything. How could you have a PR person that even lets you do that? That's such yeah. a like, well, like you said, old boys club, everybody like taking care of themselves. I mean, we're talking about Daniel Snyder, who's still around. No excuse. No. After I, everything that's happened with him. <laughs> Absolutely, like no excuse that Snyder, with everything that's happened, sh- like has a job, like is allowed to own a team. Just and this is this is like mind-boggling. It's become and it, and and a lot of industries are this way, and companies. It just becomes so like political too. It's like, oh, yep, we're just gonna all help ourselves a little bit and push every. I mean, we don't have to get into all of them, but dude, like the Kaepernick stuff. I mean. Come on, you're telling me that all of those years with as many quarterbacks that get cycled in and out, that guy wasn't going to get backup reps or like have a team needing someone at the end of the year to bring in and let this guy take three or, you know, what teams would do with Cam Newton all the time. How, yeah. what, you're telling me that guy wasn't get going to get those kind of at least opportunities. Come on. Like they all just do what's best for them. They push people out. They, you know, they play these games and it, it's, it's frustrating as fans. You know, we see it with officiating. Sometimes they don't care all that much. And the 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 key point I think you hit on with all of this stuff, where where it's starting to get really shady now, is that there are more than ever mil- hundreds and millions and billions of dollars in gambling, in fantasy, in all these things, and we are all in investing and putting a ton of our ton of our money 
hours and hours of our time and effort. This is a life for 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 professional gamblers. Like football season is is your season to to really make money, and it's just getting like you're getting harder. It's harder and harder to trust like to trust the whole yeah. league. You know, you're to put your faith in them. I come from a horse racing world, Eric, and this has been a problem in horse racing forever. You know, you just you it feels shady sometimes. Certain tracks do certain things. It feels like certain people get certain rules. Trainers cheating. This happening here. They're pushing stuff under. And, and the only the only people who always seem to get screwed are the betters. Yep, and that's because they don't care. Like as long as they're getting their money, at the end of the day, you know that's that's all they care about. And, um, you know, it's, it's sad. And the fact that there has to be a rule in place and that teams just don't hire the best candidate is mind boggling to me. Like, wouldn't you want the person that puts your team in the best chance of winning in charge? I don't, I just don't understand. I mean, think of how long Mike Shula was a coach for the Bengals. And the only reason he had that job was because of his last name. It's disgusting. When you it really it, it, it really is, and when it's you 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 we've seen it and we've heard it and we've seen through years like oh this person's going to be interviewing for these few jobs and then we don't hear them get it and we don't hear anything more about it but we've never really seen someone do what Brian Flores just did like you said he he probably will not get hired in the NFL again I would be surprised if he did did I would be very happy if he did for any owner that says. Screw it! I'm gonna do that. It might. It honestly might have to be like a new owner. It would have to be somebody that like would buy a team in the next couple of years and was like, "Screw it! I don't care about all these other people, all these those other owners. I'm not in their club. Like I'm gonna go hire Brian Flores." And then all the other owners would blackball that one, you know, and do whatever they can to 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 make life miserable for them. But it's it, it's it's something that needed to be done, and somebody was gonna have to be the person that just said, "Hey, look." I'll be the martyr here. I'll I'll lay on the sword, and it might be Brian Flores, um, but I mean it, it's it stinks like, like it does, and and you and I are two white guys, so for any white guys to ever say that it's not race, just shut up. Like I will, you're not gonna ever hear me say that because I don't like that. How can I say that? How can I come and be like it's not a racial thing, right? It's just how can <laughs> it's <laughs> like, it's just my like. And I, I, it was Dave Shula, not Mike Shula. Mike yeah. Shula to Alabama. That was my mess up. Um, no, it's whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I have like some friends that are. There's no, there's no reason why they shouldn't be a GM in the NBA. They've interviewed for jobs, and they're some of the smartest basketball minds. Like I have the privilege of calling friends, and um, you know, they just like. I know why they don't have the jobs, and it's it's sad, and you know, I mean. They've told me they've left an interview and they they were like, hey, there's no way I'm getting this job just by like how it was conducted. And unfortunately, that's how we live right now. And now uh, for this whole week, this whole Super Bowl week where all week long, it's everybody doing interviews, funny stuff. This is like a huge networking week. This was always like, you know, you have Radio Row and everybody will go down if they're, you know, they're pushing something or players from other teams. If they're trying to get contracts or this is this is a big Buzzy NFL week people talk about and and this would have been a week where it would have been like everybody's talking about how Tom Brady's retired Everybody's gonna be talking about this. Yeah, this yeah. is all anyone's gonna be asking players teams Coaches. Hey, 
Have you seen behavior like this in your organization? Hey, what what Brian Flores is saying, can you comment on that? Is this something that you've seen happen? Have you been a part of it? Have you turned your everyone's gonna be be asking about this? And this is this was very calculated by Brian Flores in that, like, he's like, Hey, look, you you guys want to F with me? I'm gonna F with the biggest thing that you've got. And now all Super Bowl week, this is I mean, if they would have if this would have come out in a month, it still would have been a big deal, but it couldn't have come out at a, at any time where it was more of a big deal than when it came out immediately after the conference championships with the two weeks in between now and the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was strategic. I it mean, was a hundred percent strategic, and it's going to be interesting. Like Goodell came out with a statement, and which is what the statement should have been initially. You yeah. should have never done that one two hours after, like you said. Like, how do you? Yeah. That that's like you or me on Twitter firing back at a tw- at a Twitter troll. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's just got to be like, dude. Yeah, just don't even do don't even do that. Like, who cares? It's the don't make that statement. Just wait and make a statement that says we're going to investigate. We're going to look into any everything. These are serious allegations. We are very we take them very seriously, and we're going to investigate. Don't don't come out and be like what he said wasn't true. We know. I know this. This is my friend. He would never do something like that. That that is just awful. Like you cannot do that. Yeah, and then the the Giants came out with some statement and everything. Where it's like. Well, somebody said they were going to hire the bull, that it was a gun deal. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. like, how would Belichick know? So, and we're not, look, <sighs> I'm not an idiot. I'm not a, I'm not some like prude person either. Like, that I understand the way the world works. You, you were going to hire, like, you're interviewing people for a job. There's, pro- you know, these people, there's probably someone that you favor. Right. We're not robots. So going into this, it's like, oh, yeah, we like Dable. You know, if he interviews well, it's he's going to be our guy. That's fine. You just can't like those are conversations that you better be careful. They're kept between you and me, Eric. Yeah. Right. Like that. Those are things that can't get out. It's not that you can't think that way because I would think that way, too. Oh, hey, I want to hire someone for that's what G said. Like uh, there's these three people I'm going to have do a thing with me, but I probably want it to be Eric. Eric's my guy. But like I'll let the you know, like that's going to be going on in my head. But I'm not I can't tell people that, especially nowadays, like with everything that we know about the HR hiring practices, lawsuits, everything is so litigious. You can't yep. it's lazy. All it is is it's lazy. If you run a, a dirt if you don't run a clean shop, this is the kind of stuff that happens. Yeah. It's just it, it's I don't know. Like I like is there an agent? Is someone in the building talking? You just don't know. But I mean, you got to figure like the bull was the guy that and they just went through it. And there's these reports that Elway showed up, what, drunk? Yeah. Like and it's like, Jesus. So and you went with Vic Vangio. Like it's (laughs) he was. And that's the problem is it's not that the the problem is, too, is it's like with some of them you're looking at. It's like, guys, you made a bad call to. So it it does look really because Vic Fangio. And compare him to Flores or like Flores compare him to the guy. Like you said, Hackett. Yeah. Like what? I mean, how much more of a proven track record does Flores have Yeah. from doing nothing? And it's funny. It's like Flores is like a guy who would come in immediately. He's had a lot of success taking teams that don't have much of a quarterback and getting them competitive. He's gotten guys to really play awesome defense and buy in. He feels like he would have been a perfect fit in Denver. Yep, and you went with, <laughs> you, went with you know Nathaniel Hackett, someone that, that got that's fired what for makes the Jags people question. So. so it's like, 
it's it's not just that you're going with the and you're not taking the black guy or the minority guy. It's that the black guy or the minority guy is a much better choice, and yeah. you're not taking them. It's not yeah. just like oh yeah, we picked the better choice, and it just so happened to be that. No, you are definitely not taking the better choice, and so that has to be mentioned. That has to be brought up. That it ha- it can't be a coincidence, and it can't be that all of the black head coaches just got. Fired again in what we have one Still in the NFL right now Well how why did the like I swear to God if the Texans hired What, the, what were they doing Josh with Cully Mc, Mc, McDaniel, The guy that used to be the quarterback What's his name If they hire that guy from high school football Like what are you doing you know what I mean Like Josh McDowell McDaniel or whatever Um, The guy that used to be with the Eagles It's what what are you doing I mean the, what, what could um, They were 4 and 12 and then Coley takes the job with Taylor and Mills and a way worse roster, and he goes four and thirteen, and they were competitive in a lot of games. You know, we bet them a lot this year. They tried; yeah. they were so much more fun to watch their games than some of the other teams that just laid down. I mean, compare them to like the Jags. Oh yeah, and I've, oh. I like I've said numerous times, like or the Giants. If that coaching staff was coaching the Broncos. The Broncos would have been a serious threat. I mean, because they got guys to compete and lock in, and it's just mind-boggling that he's out of a job. Well, what did you want? A- like, what did you want him to do? Honestly, like, what were your expectations for him? What was your plan? Why would you even hire the guy last year if you, like, you you have to understand? Hey, look, we're not going to have Watson. We have nothing. We made some bad trades and moves, and we don't have a lot of capital right now. We're not in a great spot. We're looking for someone. To just be a good leader. That's and that's exactly what the guy did. Like we didn't hear any incidents from the Texans this year. There was no, no fighting in the locker room or crazy stuff on the sidelines or anything like that. They were a team that tried hard. Some weeks they were just way outmanned and got crushed. And hell, they even they even were playing well to start the year, and then Taylor got hurt. And now yeah. all of a sudden you have to you have to just throw in an undrafted. Or was he undrafted or late? Well, he was a late draft pick, Mills, right? I think it was like third. It was third, right? Yeah, yeah. One, one of the later drafted pick third, quarterbacks, and uh, not undrafted, but you know what I'm saying? Like one of the, he wasn't a highly projected yeah. quarterback, someone who you're like, oh yeah, you know, we went out and got Davis Mills to be our guy. All of a sudden now he's the guy. I mean, they did, I, I can't believe, I could not believe it. What more would you want from them? Yeah. Sure. But I mean, did they make the some Texans. weird decisions here and there? Okay, sure. Yeah. Fourth down that they punted or this or that, but like, they got those guys to play in games that n- not a lot of other staffs would have gotten a team to play in. No, they got them to play hard, but the Texans, they have, as long as they have Jack Esterby as the guy who's in charge, and you want to talk about a snake of a person, that organization is going absolutely nowhere. Yep. So, I mean, Coley long-term, probably good for him that he got out of there where he, why he can, and now he has a little bit of street rep for showing what he can do with a limited roster, so hopefully he does get another run. But, you know, the fact that, like I said, I mean, I hate to keep mentioning Caldwell. I mean, why? No, because you have to. You're a Lions guy, and the guy had two. He got fired after two winning seasons. Yeah. And, like, he won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco as his quarterback, but he was the OC with the Ravens. You know what I mean? Like, fine, you want to say what he had Manning when he was um, when he won it with Indianapolis? Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. But, You're telling me the Lions wouldn't have right now? If they could get back in their DeLorean and uh, you know jump back in the time machine, like you, oh hey, sorry Caldwell, we want to bring in freaking uh, 
Well, it was it who was it after him? It was Flo- uh, Patricia. For Patricia, it's like, yeah, yeah we 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 would have much rather stuck with with freaking Caldwell. Oh my goodness! So yeah, I mean, Lions are like trash now, and Stafford's playing for a Super Bowl, and it's always going to be kind of like that team was close. I mean, because they, they had, were not they had far off weapons. They had they had a good defensive line. You know, they they were a lot closer than people realize, and yeah bringing in Quinn and then Quinn wanted his boy and Patricia. And, you know, I've told you this story. The funny thing is like Patricia didn't get into a Super Bowl party after the, uh, the Patriots won because the bouncer at the door thought he was homeless. And that's who the lions coach was. Yeah. Just yeah. absolutely mind boggling. And yeah, it's one of the, I mean, he was really unprepared and stuff too, from all the stories I hear. You could just like sort of see, he just was like, it was, he, he, I don't know. It was just like a guy that you would like, want to have a few beers with but not lead your team i don't know just very very weird he's absolutely clueless but i will say this though that josh mcdaniel's leaving kind of does tip its hat that whenever belichick does leave it's going to be steve his son that takes over because if he was in line to take over for the patriots you would not even the patriots to go no raiders no it was as steady as they are so stevie belichick man that guy with those faces if he when he takes over that could be great that could be great well we're talking a little bit about the patriots let's talk about the man who called it quits tom brady 15 time pro bowler seven time super bowl champ three time mvp five time super bowl mvp the i mean the greatest of all time um and it's one of those things, Eric, for like guys like you and me, we were, I, I mean, I respect him and I will always, but we probably got caught up so many times in, play, in betting against him that we probably didn't really even appreciate what this guy was until sort of now where you can stop back and stop and look and you're like, oh, nice. I don't have to worry about, you know, rooting for uh, the team that I've got plus seven and a half against Brady, you know, because he's always overvalued and always going to be like a heavy favorite. We didn't have many opportunities through our, uh, through the years to play Brady, you know, with no. the way that the way that we play. But wow, man, this guy, he got me a lot of times when I thought I had him beat. He snapped me so many times. He came back. He almost did it again with the, against the Rams a few weeks ago. And I'm I'm glad that we like I'm glad that I was in this. This was during my lifetime. I got to see this guy play my entire life. I saw his entire career, everything, how he's grown and. And from kind of a flub, ch- chubby, kind of flubbier guy when he was young, really unathletic. And now he's in phenomenal shape and he eats like eats and drinks and he's in the, you know, th- he spends millions of dollars on his body. I'm I'm actually surprised, Eric, because w- he was like his numbers and stuff were incredible. This is like one of statistically as good of a year as he's maybe even ever had. So it, it does seem sort of weird to like look around and. He was such a top-tier quarterback again this year. I'd have a hard time being that good at something and saying, I'm done. Yeah, but on the flip side, um, that what a, what a he, proof. He, he went on Stern oh my, during, the, um, during the lockdown, and he had this comment about how him and Giselle, like, working and finding common gra- ground, and it made it sound like they were almost headed to a divorce one time until mm, yeah. she was kind of like, hey, you got to – put your priorities in straight and you know it's probably football takes up a lot of time man man it's, it takes up a lot of time so it wouldn't 
wouldn't surprise me if she was just like, hey, man, you know, you've been doing this over half your life. You know, why don't, you know, I need you here. And, you know, he probably said, okay, because it got it got a little crazy toward the end of his run there in Tampa. When you look at it, um, you know, the whole A.B. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot going back. on off the field. Yep. Yeah. Everyone came back. They have a lot of free agents. You know, he probably was like he probably knew that it was going to be tough for him to get back there if he stayed in Tampa and he didn't want the whole fiasco of going to another team. Um, and he's a prideful guy. He also probably didn't want to limp out like Big Ben. hundred percent. This is a great way to go out. Right. Yeah. And, you know, kind of hitting on the point that you're saying this dude is 44 years old. Yeah. This dude, while he's his body is like. He's in as good of shape now as he's ever been, but that doesn't mean you're going to be able to recover from a hit at yeah. this age that way. Like, you know, this guy takes one hit the wrong way and maybe he's not able to play with his kids like and the family. You know, like he said, he he has got he's 44. This guy has three separate NFL careers that you could break down. That would all be Hall of Fame careers. Like it's if you just, if you broke his career into thirds, like the first third and then the next third, and then even like just the last third, or even even just going to Tampa, he would have you know. It's insane what he did, and I saw some clip of uh, Shady uh, Shady McCoy because mm-hmm. he was with Tampa Bay last year, and he was saying how after they got in to the Super Bowl, Arians gave him a couple days off, and there was an offensive group chat, and. Um, Brady was sending videos of what DBs on the Chiefs do and their tells how they're going to break. And everyone else is just kind of hanging out and Brady's doing all that. I mean, the guy, the guy's just an absolute monster. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what he does his next chapter in life. Is he going to do like some announcing stuff? I know he does his podcast, which I hear is pretty good. I never listened to it. Is he going to try to get an ownership? He, he reminds me a little bit of Kobe in that yeah. he's just so driven. You you sort of feel like whatever he does, he'll be really good at it. Yeah, you know he's going to put a lot of time, effort, and he's going to get the best people around to make that successful. He just he's kind of driven that way. So yeah, I mean, it's you know we'll we'll all start to now in the next year or so. I think appreciate this guy a lot more than we ever did because the stuff that you know the stuff that he that he did. I mean, we'll never. We'll never see somebody have that kind of longevity. Probably never see somebody stay with that uh, one team that long, have that kind of success. And honestly, Eric, even just the way that the NFL is changing now, I wonder if that was another thing that he was thinking of. Man, he 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 had it pretty set for a long time where it was, hey, I'm in New England. We're going to win the division. I'm going to get a first round bye. And it's going to be pretty, I'm going to have a pretty easy road. I, I kind of kind of know what I got to do. I'm going to have to beat like one team and I'm in the like good team and I'm in the Super Bowl. And, you know, now in just a simple sense, there's only one buy instead of two. It's yeah. a little bit it's a little bit harder. You have to play that additional game now that, you know, most years he wouldn't have had to play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stuff's changing. Um, but like you said, like, I think he wanted to go out when he somewhat like was on the top, which mm-hmm. he was. I think it's. He's so conscientious of his brand. Like he didn't want to go out like Big Ben did, where he's like only throwing the ball four yards down the field. Or like Drew Brees did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. It's you know, I I think like, you know, he's in a good spot and you know, this is actually gonna lead to better business for him in the future. 
how he left the game. Completely. And who knows? Like, it could be August and he's craving it and he says, and he comes back, right? I was going to say, yeah. if, if like the 49ers or one of those teams that's not far off and there's a quarterback injury in training camp or something, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's that guy that could instantly be right there. The, four, I, the 49ers were the team that a lot of people were kind of teasing about because you know, Jimmy's going to probably be gone. It's going to be Lance over there. And they're pretty close. You know, they're not, we saw this year, that team is not far away. If they had a, like a a good or even just like a like some average quarterback play in key situations they you know they might be playing right now and uh and and not at home so Tom Brady will continue to talk about I'm sure for uh the next coming weeks and months and definitely years because he's going to go down as the uh, the all-time greatest shout out to Tom Brady a man who we've all loved to hate loved to root against bet against so many times at least he's not going to get me anymore He's not going to yeah. get me anymore. TV, uh, out of boy, Tom Brady, man. Great stuff there. As, as, I mean, I know you're this way too. I just respect the hell out of people who are like crazy, crazy hard workers at whatever yeah. their craft is. Like any sport, any like show. Damn, like there's some people here in LA that um, there's a, uh, like it's a deli that's called Philippe's. And it's like real renowned. It's over in downtown LA, and uh, it's like a sandwich. There's a French dip sandwiches and stuff. And in the mornings, and you know, around lunchtime, these places are jammed. There'll be like 50 people, you know, in five different lines. Everybody waiting. Everybody, and the the cashiers there are. are I mean, there's like one or two of them. They're like the best in the world. They they are the best at their job. I'll sit there and I'll watch them, and they'll just be. They they will know everything that's going on, every order, every person, three people deep in line, who's next, boom, 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 boom. Like I just get fascinated with anyone yeah. who works their ass off at what they do. And so Tom Brady, when I see and I hear and I read the amount of work that he puts in, it inspires me, Eric. It makes me look mm-hmm. at myself in the mirror and go, I got to work a little bit harder. I want to work a little bit harder, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was like, it's. Like we we're all quick to judge people and everything, but you can never judge how how much someone wants it or how much they work. And mm-hmm. you know, like he he wanted it, and you know he kind of showed everybody that they messed up, letting him go one ninety nine in the draft. Tom Brady, one of the goats. Now we're going to talk about some of the fantasy goats from this year. So if you want to follow along with us, or if you want to just kind of understand what we're looking at, Fantasy Pros is a really good. Website Eric and I talked about it earlier in the year when we did our fantasy preview because what's nice about that is you can uh, you can look at st- stats numbers scoring you can change it for fa- uh, standard leagues PPR um, you know you can look at different position rankings and everything and so everybody can kind of be on the same page when they're talking about numbers and rankings and stuff like that and we wanted to look at what just happened in the throughout in the season and maybe. Take a look at a few players that we're we're keeping an eye on for next year. Maybe players to fade that had great years, or maybe years that looked a little bit better heading into next year. So we'll talk a little uh, fantasy football here. And if you want to follow along, we are looking at those fantasy pros rankings for PPR. I think most people are in the uh, the PPR rankings right now. So Eric, this year when we're just kind of talking overall, man, it was it was Cooper Cup this year, which was pretty incredible because normally towards the top you have. Uh, just kind of overall scoring leaders. It's it's QBs, but 
it was Cup, and then uh, and then your list of QBs. And I mean, I'm I wouldn't be going into next year like trying to target Cooper Cup because things went incredible for him this year. It, it, I don't think he's going to be able to do more next year. You're going to have a Rams team that played deep into the year. Stafford's going to have another year on him. Robert Woods is going to be back in the mix. So, I mean, he's probably someone that I would want to fade. After, and we've talked about this recently, like fading the guy, anyone who's coming off of incredible years is probably the best way to go because the next year they're just going to be really, really overvalued. Yeah, I mean, where was Cup's ADP? You know what I mean? You want to get next year's mm-hmm. Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup. You don't mm-hmm. want to be chasing um, like this year's stuff. So obviously, like he's going to go in the first round next year. So obviously, like that's someone that I'm not going to be targeting. Um, the next person on the list, I really think what he accomplished is kind of being overlooked. Um, there has not been a person in fantasy football that has been the highest scoring quarterback in back-to-back years like since 15, Drew Brees. Yeah, I was going to say, right, 15 years? Yeah, and uh, Almost, 12 and 13. 10 years, yeah. Yeah, and um, that's what J- Mr. Josh Allen did. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's... 24.6 points per game, played all yeah. 17 games, the number one scoring quarterback, the number two overall score in the league, and he was... 25 20 plus points higher basically another game worth of points higher than the next highest quarterback yeah yeah and i mean you look i'm sorry back to cup cups adp was 44 that's and that's what you want right 44 for the number one overall player yeah that's that's what you want in terms of um allen I mean, last year, I mean, he was still going 26. That's like the second round for his ADP. But I would never, you and I play the same way. I would never take someone that high. That's no, a quarterback. as a quarterback, no. Just because, you know, I want someone that's going to be a little bit lower. Like Joe Burrow was eight, um, eighth highest scoring player. Um, was he fourth highest scoring quarterback? fifth highest scoring quarterback i want next year's joe burrow joe burrow had an adp of 107 that's who i want Mm -hmm. and um i mean for me i like who's going to be that second year player that's going to take that big jump i mean if you look at justin fields he had four four of his last five starts he finished as qb 10 or better so honestly i know i've just went on this big thing just just sandblast and Eberfuse and the higher and everything, but um, he's got a that, good floor with the running. Yeah, that, yeah, and that's you know, someone, and that it kind of leads to Hertz. You know what I mean? Like Hertz is someone when you look at this list, he kind of stands out a little bit too because I think he was quarterback nine, but on a on an average, Jalen Hertz was you know at almost twenty one and a half points per game. So on an av- on your average, he's actually the fifth overall quarterback yeah. this year. Because his ADP was uh, 96. He was going right, um, right before Burrow and right after like Tannehill. Um, someone else, another second-year guy who I feel could make a jump is uh, Zach Zach um, Wilson. I think mm-hmm. he's kind of getting a little bit overshadowed. He showed some growth. Um, we need to remember uh, Becton, who's the Jets' best offensive lineback, offensive lineman. He didn't play at all this year. He was out the whole season. So it's like they're going to get a brand new left tackle back when he comes back from his injury. 
offense looked better toward the end of the season. So that's definitely someone. His running, too, yeah. that, that one game yeah. we saw him start to take off running. It, and that just becomes being more comfortable, right? Yeah. Dropping back, seeing the field a little bit. Oh, I'm going to take off and run. And then, Bowman, that's what we're talking about with Hurts. It gives you such a nice floor, you know, yeah. when you have these guys that that just give you a base of running. And it's, again, like, it's a simple, basic thing, Eric. But just remember, when you're playing fantasy, when you're, you know, in particular, when you're gambling and stuff, it's not always the best player, the best team that wins. Like, you look at this and you... You know, everybody wants some Mahomes or like the big name guys. Nobody's looking around thinking like, oh yeah, Jalen Hurts had a really good year, but but he did because of the running and the floor and fantasy scoring is different than what actually happens in the game. I know those are just like, yeah, really basic things, but people just make sure you you know make sure you're hey, it doesn't really matter what this person's name is. What matters are the numbers, what they're getting me every week from a scoring standpoint. Jalen Hurts was a very good fantasy quarterback this year. Yeah, and then someone else that I'm sure, because as a community, fantasy football community, we're very, um, we just remember last year, Lamar Jackson only played 12 games, but he averaged 21.08 He's the guy who I target next year. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that, like that would put him at 358. He would be QB4. So I really feel like people are going to be forgetting him. Um, you mentioned Allen. There's no way he's going to be the highest scoring quarterback three, three years, years in a row. row. No way. <laughs> and he's going to be going second round. I don't want him. And I really feel like I'm out on Kyler Murray moving forward. Me too. Um, this was it for me on Kyler Murray. I like just it's, too it's, injury prone. It's and hard to trust like, him. Yeah, yeah. Down the line, like down the stretch. It's been multiple years where we've seen the same thing from him. And he's just he kinda, stopped running too yeah. this year. Like, I'm on, you know, I think I was in six or seven leagues this year, and one of them I went Murray. And I think that was like the only league that I spent up for a quarterback in. Mm-hmm. And that league I was awful. Yeah. And in that league, I, I remember kind of like based on where I was, the reasoning was I didn't have a lot of running back depth. So I, you know, just kind of like where the, where I was situated in the draft. And I figured, okay, I'll get Kyler. He can kind of be like an RB2 and a quarterback for me. And that was not the case at all. His running this year was not great. So he, I completely agree with you. He's someone I'm not targeting for the next couple of years. I would fade. And yeah, when it comes to these quarterbacks, I'm just, me and you are on the same page in that I'm very rarely going to target the top tier. Because if you look at the overall rankings of the top 17 players ranked this year, or the, the top, the, the overall scores, the top 17 players that scored, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Kirk Cousins are all in there. Yeah. All. I mean, those are, you don't need to spend a first round draft pick or a second round or even a top three or four to get one of those guys. And then if you don't get one of those guys, the drop off isn't really absurd, but that's eight or nine. And in most leagues, you know, you need one quarterback. You're probably in a 12-team league. You you could probably get one of those guys later down the draft. It's and I, you'll you'll be absolutely fine. Um, one of the names that's going to be hot probably in August is going to be Daniel Jones, because everyone's going to be comparing him to Josh Allen because uh, Brian DeBall is the coach now. I'd just be a little lenient with that. You know what I mean? Like he really hasn't done anything. Um, so I wouldn't sip that Kool Aid 
quite yet because he has a lot of bad habits he needs to get rid of. Okay, so the in the QBs for uh, fantasy football overall leaders this year, just kind of want to read through what they were, and then uh, we'll jump into the next bit. So it was Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. Number three was Brady. Mahomes was four. Stafford was five. Aaron Rodgers was six. Dak Prescott, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts. Kyler Murray was 10 in uh, – his 22, his 14 games, he had 22 points per game. Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Jimmy G, Mac Jones, Taylor Heineke, Matt Ryan round out. And honestly, like the drop off starts at about, you know, 16, 17, like right, yeah. right when you got into that, like Russell Wilson, Jimmy G wasn't even that bad this year, regular season. You know, he wasn't even a bad quarterback to have if you needed someone to fill in in some spots, but. You're fine if you can get anyone in that top half most of the time. Just don't, you know, wait around, look at what your squad is, and then don't feel like you need – that's the one position that I never panic on. I never. And if you – like, I'll panic sometimes when the string of running backs goes, and I look around, and I'm like, ah, crap. I don't – in my projections, the running backs are going to fall off big time here, so I need to get one of these two guys. That's totally understandable. That happens in drafts a lot of the time. Dude does it with wide receivers too. You know, I'm more of the time I like to pick the best player available, but there are some cases where you just look around and you're like, hey, my next tier is not good. I need to get somebody from this tier. That's how I do a lot of my drafts. I kind of have little targets. I want one guy in this group, one guy from this group. And I, of all the positions, the one I worry about the least, if my players get picked, if someone snakes him a pick or two in front of me, is quarterback. Just don't stress on that one. You like it's it's always nicer to have a couple extra really solid bench pieces, guys that you you're gonna need in the middle part of the year that you actually will want to play than picking quarterback two rounds earlier than you needed to. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there's always gonna be that guy like in the one league we're in together. I got hurts like in the twelfth round. And yeah. he was fine. So there's no need to chase. You can get that guy, and I think this year it's going to be Fields. You can get mm-hmm. those later rounds that's going to help you out. Fields, Wilson, who you mentioned too, some of those younger guys. I mean, we'll see who ends up going to or, – or it's Peterson over in Jacksonville. I mean, I don't know. We were oh, – I mean, last year uh, Lawrence was so bad. But, like, there are going to be – like, if I would not be shocked to see Lawrence just look like a totally different guy next year. And then maybe after week two or week three, all of a sudden – like, there's going to be some guys that then you can pick them up. Right, boom! You put then you got an opportunity there. So just quarterback, relax with the QBs because there's always going to be uh, tons of scoring and there's going to be a lot of options in PPR. Let's jump to our next positional group, Eric. Let's talk about the running backs here. This year was the year of Jonathan Taylor. He was your number one overall running back on a uh, total points basis, and he had 22 per game. So Jonathan Taylor, the stud that he is, led the way. Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, James Conner, Leonard Fournette, Zeke, Alvin Kamara. They were all in the mix. Derrick Henry, um, like always, he's leading the way on a points-per-game basis, 24.2 in the eight games that he played. But uh, our top ten, we had uh, Kamara at eight, Cordell Patterson at nine, and Antonio Gibson at ten. I mean, just from a talking point, Shout out to Cordero Patterson, who I cannot believe we spoke about this guy so many times throughout this year, and he ended up being like the best offensive weapon and playmaker for the Falcons. Yeah, it's just, but I mean, like, if you look at his production, 
he averaged nine points per game the second half of the season. Yeah. He just had a couple of good games at the beginning. Big, big the games season. early. And then because he, he's he's gimmicky and gadgety. Like he's yeah. the type of guy who's not. That's why it was so amazing when it was happening, because it shouldn't happen like that. Players yeah, like that I'll, shouldn't be able to score as many touchdowns as he was scoring. And and so it was like, shout out to anyone. I had him in a couple leagues, like shout out to anyone who was able to grab him. And and he was very, very helpful on your fantasy teams this year. But he would not be someone that I would be looking to target in future years at all. No, not not at all. And like the main thing that kind of when you just look at the let's just look at the top four. The main thing that you have to take away looking into next year when you target the running back position is you want to go a place that doesn't have a committee. Like Jonathan Taylor, clear cut number one. Number two, Eckler, you know, this is PPR format. He was a big factor in the passing game. Number three, not Nigel Harris. It's totally his backfield. Everything sucks about him, but the offensive line is terrible, but there's nobody else. He just does all the work and same thing with joe mixon i i've been playing around with my strategy for next year and next year i'm almost more tempted to just kind of target the guys in a good committee in the third and fourth round and not stress about running backs early just because as you said with cordell patterson you know it kind of shows you can kind of or if you get aaron jones like if you have someone who's going to get opportunity that's what you want, but everything is a two-headed monster now. There's no point in stressing to take one of these top guys early on. This year, you would have been – all of them were awful. Yeah. All of them. All of the early first-round pick running backs were Kamara, Aaron Jones, um, Henry, Christian McCaffrey. None of those guys were top-tier running backs. Kamara was the best, and Kamara ended up finishing eighth overall. Yeah, uh, but I'm, Zeke was Zeke was a high pick for a lot of a lot of people too. He actually finished the best. Zeke actually finished seventh. Yeah. He didn't have a very good per game, but it was only it, he played all seventeen games, so he ends up finishing you know seventh in overall fantasy running back points. But on a per game basis, he only had fourteen point eight, and I think he is definitely out. I mean, of you look the, at the top three: McCaffrey hurt, Cook hurt, Henry hurt. Camara missed games, five Elliott, six Chubb, seven Jones, nine Taylor, ten Barkley. And like, Barkley and Elliott are definitely now out of that tier. Yeah. They're not going to be drafted as high as they have been yeah, in years yeah. past ever again. I mean, Barkley Eckler may be five years down the line if he, if he changed. Two. Yeah. But I can't, like, I can't do it with Barkley anymore. I can't do it with Zeke, especially when we know with Pollard over there. Um Gibson was one that a lot of people were high on. He finished 10. I mean, who who are some so we're talking like not like Najee, you know, next year is gonna be in a situation where it's gonna be all him. Joe's gonna be all him. Like Connor was a guy who you pointed out all throughout the year how he was getting an incredible amount of touches like yeah. inside in the of 10 zone. in the red and zone. He's yeah. a free agent. So God only knows what team he's gonna be on. So it's hard to so he's on the list of guys I want to avoid. Like I don't want anything to do with them. Because what we're because when we look at Connor for next year, all of the things that he was good with this year, he's not he probably is not going to be in that same situation. Yeah, and who knows? Like Hopkins is going to be back. Who knows mm -hmm. what the Arizona's offense looks if he stays there? Yep. Um, Leonard Fournette, um, he's a free agent. If he goes to Atlanta and he gets the Henry role and takes over for Patterson, 
that could be something that's really interesting. Because we were kind of high on Mike Davis a little bit this yeah. year, who, you know, he disappointed. It was a volume thing. You know, he was getting opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. He, he, and then he kind of flipped towards the end of the year. He actually had a couple games that might have helped some people win some of their fantasy playoff matchups when they needed him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the one, but the one guy, and I don't mean to sound like a homer, the one guy that I'm looking at is DeAndre Swift. He Absolutely. averaged 16.1 points per game, but he only played 13 games. If he plays a full season, he's going to be like RB5 in PPR. He averaged such... more on a per game yeah. than Dalvin Cook. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I want to be interested in because that's someone who's coming back to the same system. But speaking of Dalvin Cook, and, you know, I've mentioned this before, football's like risk. Um, you just have these coordinators that are putting – like players in a position doing their system. There's a big, there's going to be a big change going on in Minnesota. You have no more Kubiak zone running system. Um, Dennison's not there. So his traits are gone. So he's going to be going in a new system. If O'Connell is going to implement more of a power system, Cook's not a power back. So he could legitimately struggle. So I don't, I don't really know if I want to be in the Delvin Cook business. I mean, I, I did my early rankings because I'm I'm working on this project I'm going to be posting next week. I have him as 10 right now in my early rankings for next year. And with thinking about actually moving him down a little bit. So I'm just, I'm not high on him. I think Javante Williams is going to be overdrafted because everyone's going to be high on him. We're, they're all going to see the uh, the um, broke the most tackles numbers and those kind of things, right? So yeah, he'll yeah. he'll get he he could have a great year, but I'm I'm probably going to stay away from him because I think he's going to be overvalued. But I'm telling you, like I'm not the the guy you want. Like Najee Harris has no um has nothing. You know what I mean? There's no one there who's no competition like, going to be fighting. And we don't know what their quarterback situation is going to be like either. If it's somebody that's not good. It's just like with Najee, like this year, the same thing, you know, he, he's not efficient really, but it doesn't matter. He just gets so much volume. He's the only guy in town. Yep. Yep. Like it's just, he's the only game in town. Like I said, like you want to target these guys that are just in featured positions. Um, Antonio Gibson is interesting. He really is like, Mm -hmm. um, no way I'm in on Cordell Patterson. Nope. Um, the the guys from Green Bay concern me a little bit because they hurt each other. Like Dylan is is a they're both really good running backs. Mm-hmm. Oh and yeah, I don't, I don't just I, you know, if for some reason Aaron Jones got hurt, Dylan Dylan's a great like handcuff later in drafts. You know, I wouldn't want to spend up on him because once you 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 were kind of talking about this too. You want you want to start projecting the situation a little bit. If Aaron Jones or Dylan wasn't there, the other one would have an awesome role. Like, you know, they get everything and I would much rather pick Dylan later and hope and just kind of cross your fingers for that. Because then all of a sudden you pick Dylan much later and Aaron Jones isn't there. Now you got yourself a nice RB one that you didn't have to really draft as one. Yeah. You get yourself like a stud. Um, Mm -hmm. Another one, um, if Foreman goes to the Dolphins, I think that would be interesting. Yeah. We liked him a lot this year, man. Um, He. He ran well. I think yeah. that hurt the Texans or that hurt the Titans in the playoffs. They kept trying to, and and you understand, right? Your guy Henry, he does everything to get back. This is your guy. You know, 
He's been your franchise dude for a few years But gosh I think if they would have just Hey give Henry a, a few series At the beginning you know what he doesn't really have it Let's just go to Foreman I think they win that game Oh for sure for sure Um, Someone else uh, Eagles like to run a ball He didn't have any touchdowns this year So obviously with how many touches he gets That will come back and if he can stay healthy You know I'm going to look at Miles Sanders A little bit later 6th or 7th round He's going to drop a little bit uh, I don't want anything to do In Jacksonville Nothing to do at all there Which is sad to say um, So McCaffrey There's no way in hell I'll be drafting him ever again Singletary is interesting just because of how well he finished the season. But then I was a little worried because in the Bills game, not in the Bills game, in the Chiefs game, he didn't get enough carries. They didn't run him enough. Plus, they're going in a little offensive coordinator. A little worried about him. And then there's also Rashad Penny. He ended the season with a flurry, um, but they could be getting Chris Carson back. So you, that's something, you know, you got to make sure you monitor there. Um, the one then, guy who I've had a couple years now, and I'm, I'm just – I'm not going to invest in him again either as Nick Chubb. And yeah. it's because the way they handle him. I mean, Nick Chubb, and I get it. You have Kareem Hunt, who's also a good running back there. But even the games when there was no Hunt, Nick Chubb was never getting like 30 carries. Nick Chubb, for some reason, they only a couple times would they ever try to use him out of the back. I don't know why. He can catch the ball fine. Like the guy's really hard to bring down. Try to get him. You know, you had a year this year where. You didn't have Odell for a lot of it. Landry wasn't very good. You had no playmakers from in the wide receivers. Get the ball into Nick Chubb's hand. I was like, I was disappointed with Stefanski. I think we both were this year quite a bit. And so I'm, I'm probably not going to invest highly in Chubb until I see them use him a lot differently. Oh, for sure. I mean, he had only ten carries inside the five yard line this year. Zach Moss had 14. No, sorry, excuse me, Daryl Williams. I'm, I got my spreadsheet confused. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Joe Mixon, 14. Um, Connor, 16. Gibson, 12. Montgomery, 12. Jonathan Taylor, 26. You know, it just doesn't make sense, like, how little they use him when he's such he's such a beast. Like, you know, they that's that's tough, too, because I love Chubb, too. That's someone I'd want, I'd want but you're right. Like, I don't want to target him. Um Josh Jacobs is interesting. Mm-hmm, I agree. Um, new new staff, maybe some new yeah. new usage. He's going to want to run the ball a lot, but um, New England does a lot of the uh, the short screen stuff too. You know, with, yeah. with Brady, think about a lot of how they use that as sort of like a running game. Sometimes the short passing. Um, and the 49ers backfield is going to be really interesting too, because you have Mitchell, you have. Um, What's that guy's name? Mozart, who could be coming back. Mozart, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, dude, I'll tell you what. I have Debo right now as two overall. Dude, he's incredible. I, I think you. I would. I would prefer in what I think is going to be a much lesser draft. I would take. I would rather take him over Cup. Yeah, I mean, you. I hate to transcend to our wide receiver thing, but no, but I, go ahead. Yeah, that's a perfect transition. I think you, we're. I think we're done with the with the running. You guys. look yeah. at. You, you got to think of it like this. Um, you look at Debo week ten on. He's averaging six six point six carries per game from week ten on, and forty four yards per game, and second in the team in red zone carries. 
over, second in the team in red zone carries for the year. Um, you're basically starting with a free five points every time you play him. And you factor that in with his production, it just makes sense you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna use him. I mean, hell, he averaged 21 points like per game and he sat out one game. So with the usage rate, you know, I, I have him two right now. And he won you, me our the, league. The reason why I won the league that we we did the uh, the King of Lions league was was because of Debo. <laughs> Literally, like he was the guy that won that league for me. Um, I mean, it's just insane. And then you factor in they could be playing Trey Lance, like he like they're you're gonna rely on him even more to run the ball. Mm-hmm. So you know that's something definitely you know I'll I'll definitely be look to targeting him. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna because I know who everyone. I'm not going to go down to Chase next year, mainly just because I think he's going to be such a buzzy play. Everyone's going to jump on Chase. He had such a great year, all of the, the touchdowns and everything. Yeah. And again, maybe he is, but that's just not the way that I play. And you're the same way. I want to get ahead. I want to find this year's, next year's Chase in the middle to the end of the draft. I don't want to pay for what Chase did last year. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to tell you this guy, if I told you there's a guy who last three seasons, um, he's averaging 256 yards, no, 256 point fantasy points per year, 16.6 per game. And at the end of the season, he's going to average finishing around wide receiver 10. You'd be all in on him, right? Mm-hmm. And it's somebody, and he, he's done this the last three years in a row, and we all forget about him. And I'm going to take him in the fourth round. Or maybe even the third, Keaton Allen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just he's just so consistent with what he does, and people just completely forget about him. I mean, that's overall, this guy. year is wide receiver eleven yeah. on a points per game basis. Though he was better than that because he was over sixteen points per game. And this yeah. is even with a couple of games where I mean, like Mike Williams early. Was having some of those monster monster games, but it's just Keenan Allen who's just kind of consistent. All the way through, you know, you're going to get that 15 to 16 from him each week. That's a really nice floor to have and on that, a. That's you know, what you want. Exactly. I mean, you, I'm looking at this like Cooper Cup, no, because he's just record breaking season. Devontae Adams, you have no idea what Rodgers is doing, and those two should be tied together. Um, Debo, we talked about. Justin Jefferson, new coach. Jamar is going to be buzzy. Tyree Kill, I don't like, I just, there's just something off in Kansas City. I have no idea what it is. But there's just something there. Um, Diggs, new offensive coordinator. Deontay Johnson, um, quarterbacks throw to where they are, um, are are used to, like that position of the field. Deontay Johnson was playing the Antonio Brown role of the Steelers offense. That's why he was getting so many targets. So if you throw in Mason Rudolph, Mitch Trubisky, or whoever they have go there, Deontay's volume is going to go insanely down. I don't want him. Mike Evans, same thing. Hunter Wentro, you know, God only he did his most of his stuff when there was no Darren Waller. We already spoke on Keelan Allen. Williams is a free agent. Then you have Jalen Waddle. Yes, the thing about, the I like thing, him. The thing about him, like I said, these quarterbacks are going to throw to who they're comfortable with and who they know. And Tua knows Waddle. Hence why I got so many targets. So Waddle is somebody I'd target. Um, what, oh, the, the two guys, up the, like we're talking about some of the, the rooks and stuff, you know, Chase is going to be the buzzy one. Waddle and Amon Ra. 
Man, I think next year are guys that fl- like quietly fly under the radar. These are guys that had good, good seasons that weren't as they weren't winning as many games as Chase was, and they weren't doing it on as much of a national spotlight. But they were really flying under the radar. Almond Raw, I know from USC too. The guy is a stud. Like physically, he's an absolute beast on the field. And it's just you know they they started targeting him and using him more at the end because Hawkinson was out and some of the Swift wasn't around as much and some of the other pieces aren't there. So I don't, you know, he's not going to be drafted as a top. He ended up finishing as wide receiver 21 yeah, this year. I mean, it's a really yeah, solid year. Yeah. He averaged 14 plus 14 plus points per game. Yeah. I mean, he looked great. I mean, as a Lions fan, I'm happy. Um, you know, I think our offense and then like, I mean, I hate to bold into football, football, but you look, I mean, we have one of the better offensive lines in the league. Goff looked better as the season progressed with Campbell calling plays. Swift getting healthy. Hawkinson getting healthy. Brown had a breakout season. If we can add like a Godwin or even an Allen Robinson, you know, we're a little sneaky good. That's all I'm going to say. Like we're, we're like one of those like little sneaky teams. Um, Next guy, DK Metcalf. Can you name, can you guess how many games DK had where he had over 75 yards? Three. Yeah, week seven against New Orleans, week five against your Rams, and week three against Minnesota. After week seven, I mean, it was just, and I mean, granted, I know he had a couple games with um, Geno Smith, but you want to, in with how physically gifted that guy is. There's no excuses for that. There, there, no this is kind of the thing at all. that was like the problem with why he got, he dropped in the draft initially, right? It was like. It was more off the, It was maybe how is he all put together Right more of like a, What's the will what's the care Maybe is this guy going to get into it Is he going to maybe be sort of a little bit of a diva wide receiver And then the talent was incredible But these are the things that I, I think some of the reasons why he maybe Initially th- That that was out there about him right th- These were some of those things so I'm I'm steering away from him too he's not Had a really disappointing year Now what about CD Lamb versus Amari Cooper. Like I I'm not a CD guy. I've said it for a while. Um as soon as they had to take him out of the slot, his production wasn't there. Um and it's funny cuz I'm not I was this year coming into this year there were three receivers that I I sort of targeted in a lot of my teams and they all had really kind of down disappointing years. One of them was CD. The other one who I am going to target again next year and Mainly, I mean, we're going to have to see what the quarterback play is. But the reason why I targeted, uh, in, well, so let's talk a little bit more about CD and Amari right now. I would prefer Amari next yeah. year, coming off of this year. Because what's funny, it felt like everything in the world went wrong for Amari. It felt like, like I don't even remember Amari this year ever feeling like he had a big game at all. Yet he still finished at 13.5 points per game. And he was only... 20 wide receiver 27 compared to CD Lamb who was wide receiver 19 CD Lamb had a like a one point more per game than him getting many more opportunities yeah yeah I I would be in the same boat with you um another person depending on his landing spot would be um Allen Robinson like yeah. if he went to a good like a good solid place. Like he would definitely be someone that I targeted. 
Um, also, don't sleep on Cespedes from the Lions. Uh, first five games, he was their wide receiver one. He averaged almost 10 points a game, 9.9. I mean, if he would have kept that pace, I mean, he's up around wide receiver 36. So that's someone I'm going to look at toward toward the bottom, um, you know, of the um, – of the uh of the like the middle part rounds of the draft uh aj brown someone else the guy just can't stay healthy but that's someone i'd kind of look at depending on where he goes like i could see him falling see I, and i'm going the one guy who i was mentioning who i didn't was terry mclaren that's terry, my next guy that's my guy because i i targeted him this year because of the fitzpatrick thing you know like we we picked him and i was really high on him because thinking that he was going to have a quarterback that could just have give him some deep opportunities and that could get him the ball. And then unfortunately, Fitzpatrick gets hurt in the first half of the first game. And and, and you just you get from Heineke what what you get from a backup quarterback. He'll but have one still, like you got like I think of it and I think you're looking at it the same way. He had 77 for 1053 and five tutties with Heineke with that. You know, with that, as soon if they if there's like any upgrade at the quarterback position, he's flirting with 100, 100 receptions, double digits TDs, and he's probably around 12, 1300 yards. He so had I mean, some of the worst. Heineke had like two or three of the worst graded quarterback games this year. I mean, there were a couple that one half against Dallas. I mean, he was so bad. Terry Mack. Just had no chances he wasn't getting opportunities He was also a little bit banged up in a couple Of the games too where Health wise I think it's just one of those Like just put a line right through it You know don't even it's like A a lost year for Terry Mack I would Definitely I want to see What his quarterback is first right we want to see Like hopefully there's some competent Quarterback play over there but he's Someone that I would not be down on after this year, and, I would go the other way. I target him because he's going to be undervalued going into yeah, the draft next year. For sure, for sure, because people will be like, "Oh, he did nothing last year," and he still finished but, wide receiver twenty-five. Yeah, with Tyler Heineke. I mean, that's a flex. That's where it felt like everything went wrong. This guy was still basically a wide receiver too. Yep. Um, I like Marshall from the Panthers, depending on who that he got. Um, this is the running mate with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. He's got skill, but the quarterback play has just been so bad at um, with Carolina, with New In and Darnold and P.J. Walker, that they just don't have anyone throwing him the ball. So if that quarterback play picks up a little bit, that's someone that I would definitely, um, definitely look to target. Also, Van Jefferson, if Odell doesn't resign, I really think he's in a line for a breakout year for your um, for your Rams. Um, someone else that I think is completely forgotten about Cortland Sutton wide receiver 44. Uh, he, he's the one for me, hundred percent too. He was like my, the, one of my big, big guys to mention a little bit down the list. It was him and one more. Cause I was really high on him this year. He had a lot of his numbers coming into this year were excellent. And man, I don't know what the hell went down. They can't get any of their wide receivers or their like they couldn't get them the ball. It was kind of a combination of Teddy being a little bit of a manager, b- bad offensive scheme. We've we've spoke about how v- Fangio is a very good defensive coordinator, but he shouldn't be a head coach or making decisions. And I very much it's like the we we do this, Eric, in like the same way that we're gambling, right? We want to take the 
the players who are undervalued and and it and not just that are undervalued, but they have a reason, an excuse, maybe. Why did things go wrong for them last year? This is how I handicap every horse race. I handicap. I'm looking at the race going, okay, who are some of the horses who had reasons that they didn't run well and now they're gonna be a bigger price than they should? Yeah. You, this that, is what this is in fantasy. Want. You know? You want somebody who's like, hey, this guy could take a step. Also, you look at it. Um, you know, I don't mean to be blasting the Cardinals, but I truth really feel that DeAndre Hopkins has the best hands in the NFL. That's just me. Like, hands down, if I need someone to catch a ball, that's who I'm throwing to. Um, granted, I know he had a banged up season, but if you look at before he was banged up week eight and before, um, he didn't have over 90 yards in one game. They're just not giving him the ball enough. And that that's like a little a little worrisome for me. And if there were a better offense in place, that's someone I would look to. Just because he's just not getting the ball enough. I mean, six receptions, no, sorry, seven receptions is as high. And that was against Houston. It just it doesn't make sense with how much they weren't using him at all. Couple guys, um, that are way down the list that may just be completely forgotten because of crazy stuff that happened throughout the year. Calvin Ridley. Yep. He he was for me this year. It was Calvin Ridley and Terry McLaren that I targeted in. I wanted to get in almost all of my leagues. I thought that they would. I thought one of them would be able to be like a real wide receiver one, and I felt like they both had a lot of upside. And then we found out that Calvin Ridley was was dealing with some personal issues off the field. Um. You know, I think either I don't even want to get into it because I don't. They I, never I don't, said what it was. They never said what it was, but just like personal you know I mean? issues. Like, so I don't, don't want to speculate, but we don't if know this, if, was, if so. this guy, his talent's never been a concern. If this guy is able to, you know, take time off, get himself mentally right, and come back in, he's someone that he has the talent to be a wide receiver one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. he his on his per game this year, he played five games. He averaged fourteen point two points per game. Yep. Yep. That that would have been right on the like on the outside of being a wide receiver one this year if you know if you projected that all the way through. So, you know, we have to find out what's going on and obviously when you do your fantasy drafts, you're going to know a lot better 6 months, 7 months from now than we do now, but that's someone that uh I had and I I you know, you this is another one where we're talking about fantasy football, a game that we have fun with and we love. There's things that are more important than football. So I'm glad that that guy was doing what was best for him to try to get right mentally because we, you know, Eric, we like we get all caught up in the numbers aspects and we, you know, we watch these games and we we forget sometimes that these they're not robots and machines. These are players and people that have feelings and emotions and they're dealing with stuff off the field in their own lives too. I think you do a good job too. And I try to about combining the narrative with the handicap, you know, you you use the numbers, you use what we saw on the games and the rewatches, but you also have to kind of read into some other things and what the, the vibe is like the energy, the body language of people and, you know, stuff that you hear from practice coming out of training camps and things like that, that all, it all has to put it all together to make your, you know, to make your, Assumption. That's why I hate when people say stuff like, oh, stupid analytics. It's like, or anti analytics, or I'm more this way. You have to do it all. You have to be able to do it all. Yeah. You have to look at it and like, we don't know what people are going through. Like, we don't know, like, 
did they get in a fight with their girl? Is their kid sick? You know, did they like, is their parents not doing well? We don't know any of that. And I hope Ridley like got everything sorted out and he can get back on the football field. Um, let's not forget about Michael Thomas either. Um, that's someone that was wide receiver one a couple years ago. Now, um, you know, he got his injury, he got a little beef with, with Brees. Um, you know, Peyton's gone. That could be someone I could be interested in too. One more on the, uh, the deep, deeper sort of flyer list, uh, DJ shark. Yep. He, he only played three games this year. In in those three games, he averaged double digit fantasy points per game. He averaged 11, 11 and a half points per game, but he was just kind of out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, he, he's someone that would definitely be a fun flyer towards the bottom of your drafts. And maybe again, we weren't high on Lawrence, but that would have been one of his bigger weapons. So maybe there was a little bit of chemistry that those guys had that we never really got to see because he only played three times with him. Um, interesting. Uh, he he's another one where I like the players who I know, like you know, you're you're when with running backs you're talking about too, like situation, absolutely, and same thing with with wide receivers, situation, and then once you get to a you get to a certain point in your drafts and where where it's like okay, now we know that all of the Wide receiver ones and twos are probably gone Now I want to take flyers on like You know super talented players Right someone who you think could Yeah could DJ Shark be a wide receiver One for some team I think he could I think he has the talent to Th- That's the kind of flyers I'm I'm looking for Like late, later in my draft Oh for sure you want to take that low risk High reward type of guy Okay let's move along from a wide receivers To the final uh, positional Group we're going to talk tight ends And the tight end this year aboard uh, the uh, the top of the points was Mark Andrews, who had a 17.7 points per game average with the tight ends. Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Dalton Schultz was actually number three in overall points this year. He uh, was a little lower on the points per with a 12.3 points per game average. George Kittle missed a few games, but you know he's always going to be great. Uh, over 14 points per game there. He was the number fourth overall tight end in, in scoring. Zach Ertz, five, Kyle Pitts, six, Gronkowski, seven, Goddard, eight, Goddard and Gasecki both uh, were tied at eight. Goddard had more on a points per game than Gasecki did. Hunter Henry, Dawson Knox, Noah Fant, Pat Fryermuth, basically kind of rounding out your tight end ones. Fryermuth was 13. Your boy Hawkinson, who missed a few games, he he's someone who I might think about targeting next year because you know, people maybe will look overall where he finished. He ended up finishing his tight end fifteen. He probably, if he ends up playing seventeen games, he's probably tight end four or five. Oh, for sure. Um, you mentioned Mark Andrews, and he's going to be the guy that he's going to go in the second round. And I'm not going to target him next year. And nope. for the simple reason is this: we can all agree that Lamar Jackson is going to be the quarterback starting next year for the Ravens, correct? Yeah. When he played, he was averaging 15.5 fantasy points per game. When Huntley came in, that jumped all the way up to 21.8. Um, it was just because Huntley was working the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. That's why we he saw the um Huntley is not a bad passer either. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't a terrible option at quarterback. He was he did better than I would have than I thought he would have. They didn't win, but he didn't he didn't look like he was the reason they were losing games. No, not at all. Not at all. But he was throwing to where he's comfortable. And, you know, that that's now done. So, you know, I just I that's 
that's why I'm not going to draft Mark Andrews, but I will give you a shiny new, I'll give you a six pack of the champagne of beers. Let's do it. If you can guess who's on the top of my list for next year. Um, okay. Uzoma. No. I knew you were like them earlier. You know, you're mentioning him with the Bengals a few weeks ago. So I wanted to kind of go a little crazy. Who who do you, who are you super high on for next year? Kyle Pitts. Cool. Uh, Makes sense. Makes a ton of sense. Um, he, um, 110 targets, 20% target share. Um, he averaged, what he averaged? 10, 10 points a game. And that's just because he wasn't getting the touchdowns. He only had one touchdown. If there's any someone that's due for positive touchdown regression, mm-hmm. when you're getting this many opportunities and you led the team uh, in targets inside the 10 and inside the 20, it's, it's, you, it's, it's Pitts. Pitts is going to that's an outline like that's for, not going to happen again where you get that many targets with that kind of talent and you don't accidentally score more touchdowns. Yeah, he had one touchdown this season and I think he's going to be in line where he's just going to ball out and we're going to see him be tight end number one. I really like him. Um, everybody was I like doing what what it seems like you do, too, is that I like playing people the year after or teams the year after they were the buzzy team. Yeah, everybody yep. kind of. Thought Pitts might be a great, you know, right off the bat, he could be incredible. And he was. The thing about Pitts that he is a fantastic overall football player. He's a great blocker. He just runs really good routes. He's just a good football player. So you end up, you know, he'll have some games where he just didn't get as many targets, didn't get as many touches, but he's out on the field a ton. He's running a ton of routes and he's he's on the field for tons of snaps. You're gonna accidentally just get more involved. With that kind of talent, it's, it's it'll all come together for him. He's 100% someone that's on my top few of, of tight ends to target for next year. Oh, for sure. Like, he's going to be – he's my tight end number one on my early board. Um, you mentioned Hawk. Hawk could easily be tight end four on the season if he played a whole season. Um, you know, he had some injuries. And he wasn't there toward the end of the season when golf really started to figure it out. That's someone I'm definitely going to be looking at. Um, Ertz, Ertz is a tough one. Like I'm, um, like I said, I'm working on this project. He finished wide receiver number five. And so he basically played with three quarterbacks this year in five games or more. So he played five games with um, Hertz, five games with McCoy, and five games with um, um, Kyler Murray. Do you care to guess which quarterback he had his most success with? Got to be McCoy. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> like it is just it is just insane. Like when you look at it, when McCoy was quarterback, Ertz averaged. Now this is five games, so it's a good it's a good target. It's a good sample size, nine point oh six. When it was Murray, he averaged four point nine, and when it was Jalen Hurts, he averaged five point oh five. And so what's, what's interesting about that is that I I actually think that that's kind of simple. It's w- sort of what you were talking about with Mark Andrews earlier. It's that you get the backup quarterbacks or the quarterbacks that aren't quite as good and they have to lean on the tight end more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we saw it with Huntley. Huntley had to lean on Andrews a little bit more with Lamar. Lamar may, he runs a little bit. Lamar liked Marquise Brown a lot and Perriman a little, you know what I mean? There were, or uh, Bateman was the other guy. You know, you would see Lamar sort of wanting to target some other players a little bit more. Whereas I think guys that are a little, 
less comfortable with the offense You come in, you don't really have all of the playbook opened up to you You're not someone who can maybe make all of the throws Or try to make all of the throws And you look around, oh, that guy's covered, that guy's covered Oh, there's my big target, Mark Andrews Oh, yeah. there's there's big Zach Ertz for me, you know And that's, And then also we got Darren Waller at 17 you know, he, he only played 11 games. I know he's the one that I think could be undervalued because of that. Because in his 11 games, he has 12.1 points per game, and so on a points per game average, he's gonna he would have been right in the top five. Yeah. So he, that's another one. But you don't know, you don't know if Carr's gonna be there. Like McDaniel's and the same. McDaniel stuff. Yeah. Like what? You what's their system gonna, gonna, gonna look like? There. Yeah. So I mean, I have a six right now, but again, this is just my early stuff I do with my projections. And everything. Um, another interesting run is George Kittle. Um, he only played one game that Trey Lance played, and it I think he had three points in the game that Trey Lance played. So if they do make the switch over, we don't know how much of a factor he's gonna be in the passing game. And he gets hurt a lot too. So I don't really know if that's someone I really want to be invested in. At this tight end position where there's only about a handful of guys you can truly trust. Mm-hmm. That's that's what makes it difficult. Um, w- sort of some of the guys on the that I think could take an- another step forward. Um, Fryermuth and Conklin were guys like week to week. You know, I, I had to play in some DFS stuffs here and there. Um, actually, don't mind Conklin. He finished overall as tight end sixteen. Uh, about eight points per game. He did play all seventeen games there. Fryermuth was uh, ju- uh nine and a half points per game. He played in sixteen. He's a rook, so you could expect him to take a little step forward. The only problem, though, is that Fryermuth was probably in a really good spot this year with Big Ben, who couldn't throw the ball down the field at all. Like that was yeah. a great spot to be in for a big target like him. I think as a player, he'll improve, but his situation this year was actually pretty good. Yeah. So it's just. He's what Big Ben wants, and like we like if this is Mason Rudolph, it's a big difference. But if it's someone hypothetically, let's I don't even know, Deshaun Watson, I just threw out a name, then he goes up a little bit. Um, the one guy not, this year who I I was a little disappointed when he had some time was Foster Moreau yeah. when when Waller got hurt because you'd hear all this buzz from the Raiders about how talented he was in 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 some. Spots that we saw he could make some great plays He might be someone where if he ended up in a different place Or if Waller and him were not in the same place He would be maybe like a a really, really deep flyer Sort of that I would keep an eye on Or maybe someone at least who would be like a DFS play In some spots But the tight ends are tough, man You you, you said you get you can't trust so many of them We were going through the top tier of guys Like Dalton Schultz who had a great year, but do you want to pay for his great year next year? No, I don't. Because like he did a lot of his damage when Gallup was out. So now Gallup comes back. That's a whole nother, another mouth to feed. So it's just, yeah, that's just someone you don't want to be a part of. Noah Fant, who I love from a talent standpoint. The problem with Noah Fant is though, there Albert O is actually a very talented tight end also. And then they have Sutton, Patrick, uh, Judy, and that—that's a lot of mouths to feed. And then Williams as possibly being someone featured. That's, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get a whole lot there. There's, there's only one ball. You got Mike Gesicki, who I think's insanely talented, 
but Tua only throws to Waddle. Um, you have so I mean you start whole, you start eliminating people, and that's why someone like Pitts looks so much better, right? Like yeah, you, we start looks. crossing out. We don't really want to pay for Mark Andrews' great year. I feel like Travis Kelsey's. We're seeing some of the declines from him already. Schultz, we don't want to really pay for him off of that great year last year. Kittle, he does get banged up a little bit. You dug holes into why Ertz may not be the best if it's someone with. Kyler or someone, you know, depending on the situation that he's in. And now all of a sudden we're at Pitts, who is the number six overall tight end. Number seven is Gronk. Who knows what Gronk's going to play? I mean, I, I imagine he's done. I don't know why he would come back if Tom's not coming back. If, if he does, he's still getting older. I wouldn't really want to. And who knows what he's going to look like with a different quarterback? You know, like that's that's Tom's boy. Tom knows to look for him. Tom knows to throw for him all the time. Now you, you start getting through everyone. And it's like, I, you know, Dawson Knox is someone who. I don't mind, but it's another instance where you know you know you're not going to get a very high ceiling with him. You got Diggs over there. They've got you know a, a three like an, after Diggs another two or three very solid wide receivers, whether it was Sanders or Beasley, and we saw the dude in the playoff game go absolutely nuts there. I, Singletary's there. Josh Allen, you'd imagine, is going to run the ball sometimes there too. I don't know how much. You're going to get if you're Knox It is a really difficult position And every year we kind of at the beginning of the year go Oh it looks a little deeper There are you know there are more tight ends that you can feel comfortable with And then at the end of the year we're doing what we're doing right now And looking at the the standings and the overall list And there's only a few people who are even You know averaging 10 points a game Some of the tight end ones aren't even averaging 10 a game Yeah it's just it's one of those positions where you know, you have to decide, do you want to, like, take a guy in the third round, fourth round? Or do you want to, you know, wait and try to gamble on a Knox or a Hunter Henry or a Noah Fant? Um, someone that's way down on the board, Evan Ingram. I mean, this guy's been an utter disappointment since he got to the Giants. But with the bull there, maybe he'll be more of a factor like Dawson Knox was. Um Austin Hooper has always been a disappointment. I really feel he could be featured a lot more. But, yeah, the tight end position is just absolutely, like, crazy. And then you got Dallas um, Godert. Goddard, yeah. Goddard. Goddard. You don't know what's going to go on with him. Devontae Smith came out a little bit. I wouldn't be cold on Goddard. You know what I mean? Like, his situation was always going to get better when Ertz left. Mm -hmm. And Goddard, and he has a lot of talent, too. Like, he's a good... He's a good player, like a good guy with good hands, and his he's like a talent more than situation. And now his situation might be catching up with his talent. I mean, of the of like the top fifteen that we've been talking about, I'm a lot higher on Goddard than than many of the others. I w- I'd rather take a flyer on him and pick him late in the draft than you know spend up on have to have to draft Zach Ertz a lot higher or have to cool. draft um. I mean, even Kittle a lot higher. I Kittle's great in DFS some weeks, but then you have to spend up. Like he's a, it's one of those things where he's a fantastic football player. You know, he scares the hell out of me if I bet against him. He goes and makes some incredible plays, but that doesn't always mean that he's the the best pick in a fantasy draft. I mean, you look at the ADP as you had Kelsey twelfth, Waller twenty fourth, Kittle thirtieth, Pitts forty eight, Andrews fifty four. Um, Hawk 65 And then you have Logan Thomas 82 Robert Tunyon 86 
Noah Fant, 93, Dallas, 100. So, I mean, you can see there's kind of like a big, big drop off. But, yeah, I mean, I would, if I could get Pitts, like at the beginning of the fifth round, I'd be doing car wheels. Eric, awesome, man. Thanks so much. It was, it was a good call on your part. You were the one who, uh, who suggested that we do this because it's so much easier to do this right now than to try to do it six months yeah. from now or, you know, have to go back through everything. It's nice to have this conversation and we can direct people back to it. You know, hey, look, this is what we thought immediately following last year. So if you want to take some of those thoughts and, you know, see where players have moved, if they're on different teams now after free agency and things like that happen. But this was a great call and I'm glad. And uh, we didn't talk at all about the Super Bowl and that's fine. We're going to talk a lot about it coming up uh, in the week. Like you joked, it felt so weird this week not doing our normal uh, Thursday conversation that we've that we've had for for so long. And even today on Sunday, as we're recording, no football. But next week, we'll uh, we'll have our uh, our normal Thursday. We'll preview the big uh, Super Bowl. We'll talk a lot of props, uh, how we're playing the game, some fun stuff there. I'll have some uh, some maybe some national anthem or some uh, halftime show props that I always like to get involved in, too. Those are always uh, fun to put a yeah. few bucks on. So we're looking forward to talking a lot of Super Bowl with you coming up this week, buddy. Sounds good, man. I'm looking forward to it, to it too. Yeah, we'll uh, keep keep uh, stay tuned. We'll let you know what the exact plans are with Fourth and Inches. We're gonna have a at least one big show sometime this week. Pro- I'm I'm aiming for Saturday. I'm not sure if they have uh, other plans and maybe we have to do it on Sunday or something. But it would be I think it would probably be cool if we could do it Saturday. Give everybody plenty of time to watch on Saturday and we can roll it again on uh, on Sunday morning. So keep uh keep. An eye out for that one, folks, as we'll have lots of Super Bowl content coming up for you this week. We've been very lucky to have Eric with us all year long again, and uh, hopefully you give him a follow and check out some of his great content. Have a, a nice rest of your Sunday, buddy, and good luck this week. Sounds good. You too, man. Do not go anywhere, folks. We still have a lot more to discuss on this episode of That's What G Said. Great catching up with Eric there, and uh, we'll uh, talk with Eric in just a few days. We'll get all of his thoughts on the Super Bowl, props, different things that he's playing. So uh, major thank you to Eric for helping us out all season long, and we're going to transition the conversation soon. We'll start talking a lot more NBA and college basketball each week with Eric. We're going to talk about the book of Boba Fett in just a minute. Before we do, we have to give a shout-out to Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. Full-service realtor Cindy Carava. That means she can help you out in many different ways, like with buying, selling, leasing. She can help connect you to the right kind of vendors if you just need help with home improvement, landscapers, painters, gardeners, all sorts of people that she's had experience with working with in her own home and in in a lot of the homes that she presents. Cindy Carava is one of the kindest, most genuine people you will ever meet. She's going to be honest with you. She's going to make your life a lot easier. If you just need help with a a loan, she can connect you with the right type of lenders. Maybe you want to find out how much your home is worth. She'll do a free Marcus analysis of your home's value. Check out the website, cindycarava.com. All sorts of reviews about her on Yelp and Zillow, so you can hear from and read from other clients that have worked with her. cindycarava.com full service realtor right now we're gonna get into the book of boba fett episode six spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert matt velasco joins us we get into everything that's happened into all five episodes of the book uh, all six episodes of the book of boba fett we talk about what could happen in episode seven moving forward matt velasco on the deep dive scene by scene the book of boba fett so wow <laughs> episode six of the book of boba fett from the desert comes a stranger 
Matt Velasco joins me. And Matt, I mean, I don't even know if we're really allowed to call it the, the name of the show anymore, Book of Boba Fett. It it's sort <laughs> of like, you know, a Star Wars story with like yeah. Boba Fett slash a Mandalorian story, like all these things together. But what an episode. I, I don't yeah. I don't know if I was ready for this or prepared for it, but wow. My my, my thinking has evolved on the this is not the book of Boba Fett. This is the Mandalorian. I'll I'll get to that in time. But yeah, this this episode, I still can't quite <laughs> believe. Right, we had this um, epic event of the meeting of two the two of the living Jedi in this period. Right, I mean, Ahsoka Tano is not a, a, a Jedi anymore. About we have the re- week, like it might happen down the line. Yeah, I had no clue we were going to see it like ten minutes from then. And Grogu's back. And here's my here's my kind of top level hot take that will guide almost everything I'll say today. And my favorite part of the episode was Cobb Van. <laughs> like in an episode with Luke, Ahsoka, and Grogu, I thought the parts that like really just just clicked for me were Cobb Van and everything that happens in most Helga. Right? shows up. This epic. Bounty hunter figure from some of the animated stuff, the Clone yeah. Wars. He has a couple different arcs. I was just rewatching some of the Clone Wars stuff earlier and kind of throughout the week as in sort of my background noise while I was doing work. And nice. man, it was I mean, it's so cool when R2 pops up and it's like, wow, on this episode, it's like Cobb Vanth, Mando, Ahsoka. You're getting Luke and Grogu with all these like incredible throwbacks to the Luke and Yoda moments and the CG and just the like the graphics in general. You know, we we talked about Luke when we saw Luke at the end of the Mandalorian season two and the the, the technology they have to use, you know, to make him look younger. They've definitely cleaned it up a little bit and they kind of figured yeah. some tricks to use with it, you know, with how they film shots that he's in where they don't have to necessarily have him. Close up when he's talking a lot And I think I was reading Into you know some recaps and people were Talking about how they definitely were very Deliberate about some of the dialogue And the words that he used certain Sounds that are easier for the uh, I just man it was It's so much to talk about we're Just going to be bouncing all over the place on this episode I'd imagine but it's I know I I, This is of, of all the episodes we've watched I've actually taken The least notes on this one because I've literally been thinking about it Every day, all week, all week long. I've been talking to myself about it for days. Thinking, yeah, thinking and playing. So, I mean, we you mentioned some of the really great parts with Cobb Vanth. We we get this western, just gunslinger feel, and so many of of those scenes in particular. I mean, from the desert comes a stranger. We get the appearance of of Cad Bane, who Mm -hmm. it's that epic. Who is that in the stranger you know that stranger From the distance coming in who is, you know Who is that and you sort of Feel the vibe change and the Mood change when this guy Sort of walks in for Someone that they I th- thought did a really good job with In the animated stuff I thought He came off very well in live action Too because sometimes yeah. that's not an easy thing To transition over he was he's pretty Terrifying yeah, I, I, you know, when I think I look back at some photos of him in, in animated, he does have sharp teeth. I mean, I, I don't think that was just a try. Like, yeah, I'm looking back at some photos like he does have sharp teeth, but man, they, they really look menacing in live action. 
the first thing that struck me is his hat. His hat, the brim of his hat is so large in the animated show. Like it was kind of scaled back to be a more normal looking hat. Um, but yeah, they really pulled it off and everything about that sequence was just perfect. And, and you know, I'll talk about it more. I, there's just these, this show, there's two shows at war in the show. And I, I think I'm getting why they're doing it now. Mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong. We'll kind of can talk big picture stuff. Um, but it doesn't change the fact, even if there's a design, right, to these, to the Book of Boba Fett, and certainly they had a design, it doesn't change the fact that you have this, like, this amazing kind of recreation, conjuring of the Western going on in some scenes with Garza Fwip back in episode four, everything with Cod Van, uh, Cobb Vanth in episode six. And then you have this like deep exploration of, of mythic lore and, and religion side by side. And there are these two competing tracks um, that I still haven't quite made sense why they're together, but we can kind of, you know, it's clear it wasn't a one-off with Mandalorian that this mm -hmm. was part of the goal now. Mm -hmm. And And that's why, so why, right? That's a question. Why are they telling the story this way? If you know that you have a story and you have seven episodes to get to, it's sort of like, why did they pace it this way or break it up certain ways? And I, I think it might've been hard because they were through the first, what four episodes they're already telling two stories, right? They're sort of right. telling a story of Boba now and a, and Boba in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would have been able to, or maybe this was their thought was, Hey, we're telling two stories on two separate timelines. If we're going to be checking back in with the Mandalore, like another third or even four, like two more different timelines. Right. I wonder if they thought that was a little bit too much. And you sort of, you get a lot of the Boba stuff. In the first four, you get that all set up, and then the next two take like a completely different tangent. It's all going to come back, I think, and come together. We're assuming in in episode seven, but mm-hmm. it was very different than a lot of the normal structure of of shows that we watch. Yeah, and there's something you know. I keep kind of running circles around myself, thinking thinking about this. Like on one hand, I think the show is just really uneven and scattered. And I'm not sure what episode seven can do to make me think like, oh my gosh, like really make me rethink all my criticisms starting with episode three. That said, like there is something kind of uh, raw, like in, in a good way about it, where they're just putting it out there that that they're they're not holding back and they're kind of putting all, they're pushing all their chips into the table Right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of exciting to watch a, a, a show like that. I, I wish there were, you know, I have some theories on why they're doing it in, quote, the book of Boba Fett. But I, I wish there had been more balance. Yes, it, it, I completely agree. Ironic, considering one of Luke's lessons. The, the this, whole thing is in, the in balance, episode, you know, but right. no, yeah. you're right. And that's that was what was hard is because it just felt like we the show that we were built up to see just takes such a different turn. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm thinking there are shows that you watch where it's like, it takes an episode with a character, but you kind of yeah. feel that it, this was so different with the first four and the way it was all set up to then get to where we are now. And it's crazy because I've like enjoyed the last two episodes. Incredibly. They just sort of felt a little bit out of place in that 
I mean, you were hitting on this in some of our early conversations, and that this is very like you're watching the MCU getting built. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're watching these characters from different projects really crossing over. And I wonder if this thing just would have been titled slightly differently. We may have had a different feel of it too. You know, yeah. if it was some like, you know, obviously I'm thinking of movies like Civil War or ones like that where they yeah. have, you know, combinations of everyone. If there was something like that where it wasn't so much, hey, this is just going to be Boba Fett, I wonder what we would feel about it or even anything. Right. I want maybe it's just more the way that the show was was always paced, we would still have felt like, well, that was weird. We spent so much time with Boba. Yeah. Like maybe, even if they would have done something like thrown up a, a chapter or a title and been like, now the Mandalorian, you know, the next chapter, you know, the Mandalorian I, returns. I don't know, something just a I little. Think, yeah. I, so last week, you know, I couldn't, I just couldn't get over the fact that we were seeing the Mandalorian season three premiere in the book of Boba Fett. In episode five, it was right. just all Mandalorian, like. Immediately from the beginning, everything we're following yeah. him, everything Grogu. He's, get, I mean, it just. I, I'm, I'm, so I'm over that. So what I mean by that is that I, you know, I think we all thought the book of Buffett was going to be something it never was going to be, and that's not a fault that we that we had a misconception of what the show was. I mean, it, it's not really the fault of the showrunners, although you know they clearly advertised it. You know, it was clearly kind of pitched as this underworld Western, like Boba Fett spinoff. But it, I think I've come to the realization, and there's some quotes. I think Kathleen Kennedy had a quote about this at some Disney investors event. This is a book in the larger saga of the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. This is not a spinoff. And when you accept that, that it's a, I don't know if this makes any sense. It's a spin in. It's like to yeah. you're starting off with someone else who was tangential to then understand why all the characters from The Mandalorian are now back in this frame yep. of reference, which is going to be something along the lines of the liberation of Tatooine or some, you know, something along those lines. Liberation might be too grandiose. But um, so now when you think about this, this is really season three call what you want with the mandalorian it is part of the mandalorian story they, i think they were is, some people were saying what see like season two and a half even yeah you know like that they were calling it it i mean i, I think that that you know we can get more into the predictions realm or what, what's going to happen maybe toward the end but boba fett is a foundling in a way right mm-hmm. i mean this is kind of the new story. His father was, or his father was a Mandalorian foundling, but this relationship of Mandalorians who then take a child under their wing and train them, there is some sort of like parallel. There was always in the Mandalorian a parallel between Boba Fett's relationship with his father and, you know, Din Djarin's understanding of his his family, right? There was always a parallel there. And so... I think thinking about Book of Boba Fett is like, oh, now we're on the spinoff with another bounty hunter. That's not the case. We're in the spinoff with someone else who is part of this Mandalorian legacy. It was a very different story than Din Djarin. And I think this show in some way, and we can speculate how, is about bringing Boba Fett more substantially into the fold. Like before he just needed his armor, it was kind of a... You know, it was a, a tenuous alliance, but I think the outcome of the show may be something more substantial that links 
Boba Fett to Din Djarin to to Grogu. And that's the only thing that would make me like something like that, like would make sense of why they're doing this Grogu story in this episode, like mm-hmm. in this in this arc, the seven episode arc of the Mandalorian, essentially. We get a lot of those moments with Luke and Grogu. And I think, you know, Luke is at this point, he's you can tell conflicted because he knows that Grogu is very powerful. He can sense that. But there one, there seems to be something either blocking or his memory has been erased or some at some sort. Like there's a block there for Grogu in a lot of his memory that he has trouble accessing himself. Mm-hmm. Luke can kind of tap into some of those memories. In fact, we see a pretty vivid look at um, the Order 66, I believe, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. that, that, that one particular night where a lot of the Jedi are getting slaughtered. And the so, you know, Luke is is trying to to figure out, is this what is best for Grogu? I think, you know, he's selfishly he wants this powerful Jedi to be around. I think he wants he you know, he wants him to be his first student, but he is conflicted because he doesn't really want to, you know, push him into it. He can sense the connection that he has with the Mandalorian. We see throughout the episode, we can see that Grogu sometimes will be not quite as focused you know, when he's with the frogs around or when he's jumping initially. But it is kind of interesting to see Luke sort of dealing with those struggles. I thought he th- I thought they did a pretty good job of like playing it out where he was he was a, a teacher, but he would know at some moments where he'd have to be a little more stern. But then he was actually pretty patient with him and he could kind of sense times where it was like, okay, we need to take a break. We need to go here. We need to do this. So yeah. then at the very end, unfortunately, he gives him the ultimatum that's just brutal. It's like, oh, man, you teased him with the lightsaber. And then he yeah. just, you know, come on there. Yeah. But for the, for the most part, I sort of enjoyed seeing this Luke. This is a Luke that we haven't really ever seen this part of Luke. It. It, yeah, I have, so, I have so much to say about Luke, but I think, you know, as to put on my kind of teacher hat right now, I mean, w- when you teach, there's kind of two things I would say about teaching. One is <laughs> you learn by teaching, right? Like Luke is learning how to be a Jedi master, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is um, you teach what you know, and he's so much of what he's teaching it, are 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 either you know words or sayings from from Yoda or mm-hmm. lessons he learned from his experience with with Yoda and, and to some degree Obi-Wan. Yep. Um and so I I I think you know there was something kind of um there was something beautiful about those scenes. I, I mean, was going to say I had it sweet. I had the word sweet written written down yeah. next to that because I thought the same thing. It's like oh it is sort of like he's that's exactly what you know. It's like you're you're going to repeat what you heard from your dad kind of, you know, or the teacher yeah. That took you under their wing or something that you, you know, you're going to repeat something that we heard at LaSalle, you know, I don't know, whatever, yeah. someone that, something that sticks in your head from a long time ago, you know, I, I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, there's, there's something beautiful about it. And then there's something haunting. And that's because we know how Luke ends up. Exactly. And, um, What's the line that Ahsoka it, says to Mando? He's, this is the safest place for him to be of anywhere. When we know what is going to happen with Luke And some of his future students to the point where You know it's like wow That's definitely not The safest place in the world for him to be Yeah yeah No I I, 
that 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 kind of hovers over the scenes for me. I mean, then there's the whole meta commentary about, you know, Luke's characterization in the sequel trilogy, which um, I have pretty little patience for. I mean, I wouldn't mind arguing it, but, you know, I, I, I think that it, this in, to me, so there's kind of there's some people kind of see Luke's representation in The Mandalorian and now in the book of Boba Fett is somehow a a revision or a, a readjustment to the Luke we saw in in The Last Jedi. And I see them totally as as commensurate. I, I see Luke in this era heightening the tragedy or the the you know the the pain that Luke experiences, you know, post Ben's Ben's fall from grace and everything. So I actually like I, I like how this builds out the lore. What I I don't like, and it's not really a criticism of, of the Luke scene so much, is that they're nested in a show that never was very well developed on its own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think back to my critique of of episode three, where I felt, you know, all these toys were being moved on this board, and mm-hmm. now and there's a rancor, and now the huts are leaving, and now Black nothing really happened. leaving, and and... And you know, I think at the time we were like, okay, episode three, let's they're doing this for a reason. But what they were really doing in episode three was just setting up aspects of episode seven. Like yeah. there wasn't really much. I mean, we haven't seen the Rancor. We we heard him. That, that's what I was gonna say, which is funny. We haven't seen again. Yeah. It felt like that was gonna be like a thing that we would revisit repeatedly yeah. and see some steps of Boba maybe training. Learning to ride the Rancor, visiting with him, he was sort of treating him like a pet. We didn't get any more of that. That was another interesting. We didn't get more with Black Kersantin like we may have. We were expecting there to be an episode or at least a couple scenes of some of the the origin for the mods. You yeah. know, some a little a little backstory on them at le- at least. Like so, there were definitely a lot of things that we were kind of expecting, which we didn't really realize what was going to happen in this show, but. I mean, maybe they get there at some point and maybe they end up telling those stories. Maybe they don't, but this yeah. was definitely a way to just remind like remind you that I think that the Mandalorian and Grogu are gonna become are right now like the center of Star Wars in what we're yeah. gonna be getting moving forward because they have so many ties now to what you can do moving forward. Like think about the characters alone, like now they're gonna be tied to the characters from the animated series and stuff in all these worlds we haven't explored, like Ahsoka and Cad Bane and and them, but they're also tied with Grogu back to Luke Skywalker and back to Yoda and you know way back to Boba and all that stuff. So they're they're this like cent the center now. It feels like really with them showing up in these last two episodes. I think most things moving forward, it feels like are probably going to have. I mean, why wouldn't they be a part of? In some way the Ahsoka show that's going to show up soon And you know That I and who knows and maybe these Some of these are going to be in different time periods Or they're earlier or or later but This just these last couple episodes Felt like these are these are The major major players right now Yeah I think it's you know There's the question of what Ahsoka's show Will be like Um, I mean I think there'll be some Standalone quality to Obi-Wan And Andor but (laughs) Um I mean, Andor, he, you know, Cassie and Andor's, uh, he is not alive at this point. So um, anyway, I think you're totally right. It's not only that they're setting up their kind of television landscape for the next few years. Like, I think what what this show is now hinting at with 
you know, starting to explore these Mandalorian and Jedi philosophies is that we might see be seeing the the groundwork for a future saga. I mean, what mm-hmm. is Gro- Grogu? I mean, Luke has that line later on, like Grogu's uh, a short time for Grogu is a lifetime for others. Like, you know, we in 10 years might have a whole saga around Grogu 200 years in the future mm-hmm. with the kind of whatever, Next. you know, however Ray comes back into the story. I mean, I think that they may be actually setting up a third way, right? Yes. Like th- this is the way, like, this might actually be the the groundwork for what the new Jedi Order becomes post, like, with, I think, with Rey, but maybe post-Rey to some degree. I mean, yeah. significantly post-Rey. Exactly. So, the the length that Grogu could be around now, yeah, this character, they, you, you know. They, they, hit, they hit gold. I mean, you know, with the Grogu thing, they have to kind of explain... It's not going to be very hard to explain. Like, why isn't he around in the sequel trilogy? Well, I think we're already starting to see that explanation mm-hmm. that he was, you know, he's a Jedi Academy dropout. Yeah. <laughs> so um, who knows what kind of adventures he will go off on. But I I think he, if, if the show, I'm getting way ahead of myself. No, if, please if do. If and Filoni somehow killed off Grogu in the course of this Mandalorian saga, I would be legitimately shocked. Me too. They they, they got to know now. They got to know now. Exactly. Like that, like what we're saying, they have to be having these same conversations like, wow, look at what we can do with this character that that literally every while everybody else has a lifespan that you sort of and and you know, this character doesn't really have that to worry about and the options are are honestly limitless in ways they can go. And Yeah, yeah. And and I, I I guess I'm you know I I I am excited about this idea of you know what Din Djarin's ultimate journey is what it you know this idea that Grogu is going to be a Mandalorian right I mean there he is a Mandalorian it's not like he's going to be he is a Mandalorian foundling mm-hmm. right uh, and he's got the armor now he's <laughs> got the armor he has <laughs> rudimentary force skills. His mm-hmm. dad has a dark saber. I mean, do the math. Like, yep. he's <laughs> that's another, you know, predict. I mean, I don't think he's going to use a dark saber in episode seven, but but man, he's going to be swinging that with the armor at some point, right? Yeah, gotta be. And so we're going to get into our deep dive in just one second. Uh, kind of the final things I kind of wanted to hit on our uh, our checklist before was so we were assuming and we knew that Boba was going to have to at one, you know, build his crew, but he's got a pretty good. Set now of the crew With you know he's got the Gamorreans he's got Fennec Black Kersantan he's got the Mod Gang Even the Mayor's Major Domo's in there Kind of being annoying and giving some insight You've got Mando he's got the Rancor And it looks like When they ask Some of the folks on Mos Elba um, On Mos uh, Espa for help But it it, it, We're not sure I mean I'm I'm assuming That they're going to show up and help And they may be getting help from some other spots, right? Grogu and Luke, Ahsoka. Yeah. Do did they possibly show back up to help? Do we get, you know, the Tuscans or the Jawas, you know, that show up to help Boba and and you know in this big war is in Episode Seven. So he's got a good little framework now. He's got some serious, you know, 
hand to hand combat and some really good mercenaries. Now he just sort of needs uh he needs some more bodies there. He just needs a little bit more he needs a little more backup and just some some good foot soldiers. Yeah, I I think this next episode, my guess is it goes really big and we're going to see something if I had to bet, I have no real basis for this. But I mean, like you said, we already know a lot of the 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 players on the board. Um there there if there isn't a Tuscan element to <laughs> Two episode seven. I'm not sure I'll show up for the next podcast. It's, it would be like, it would be so weird and be so like <laughs> how much you spent with them to not have yeah. one of them show back up to help him or someone right. or some it, like. Not only because well, Abe, yes, because we spend time with them, but now we have Cobb Banth and Mandalorian who both have with the Tuscans kind of relationships the with the Tuscans, right? A history yep. there. Mm-hmm. Um. You got the I stuff think, with the crate dragon, the job. Yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of it. It would be so weird to not. Yeah. With the it, like you said, with the, what we know with the Tuscans, with them, with Cobb Vanth. Hopefully, they show back up and and provide the the build up, uh, the backup for uh, for Boba as we get into our deep dive. We're gonna go scene by scene here. From the desert comes a stranger. We get the previously on. Which was basically a lot about the last episode of the Mandalorian season three premiere that we got, which was episode five of the Book of Boba Fett, and we open up in Mos Pelgo outside of what they're now calling Freetown, mm-hmm. and we have a couple Pike, basically drug dealers. There's a drug deal going going down that gets interrupted by Cobb Vanth, and this is just a total Western scene too. I mean, hey, what's going on over there? This isn't your town. We're, this is our parts. You know, this is yeah. really, really cool vibe here. As Cobb Vance just, you know, comes up on him, Matt. He says, you know, you are gentlemen. Think it through. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You know, you may not be from around here. I'm going to say you think you kind of found yourself in the middle of nowhere. But everything from there to there, this is the Moss Pelgo territories. These stripes indicate that I'm the marshal of these territories. Don't know what your arrangements are. With the authorities in Mos Espa and in Mos Eisley, anything goes. But out here, I'm the one that tells folks what to do. I don't see what that's. I didn't see what's in that chest. No laws have been broken, as far as I've concerned. Load yourself up and head back to where you came from, and we'll chalk this one up. Mm-hmm. So he sort of lays it out right there, yeah. and he's so badass here, man. Yeah. When he comes out, and Oliphant is just a fantastic actor, and he was he was Deadwood, right? Yeah, yeah. In, in I've never so, seen Deadwood, but me I, neither. Me neither. But, but I. But I want to go watch Deadwood after this. Episode. Me too. Like right after this, <laughs> I, I want to get caught up in some like t- I want to go watch Tombstone, and so I actually want to go yeah. back and watch Back to the Future Three, even anything Western, give me a little Western. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, this was a really cool scene right off the bat, and then we get the uh, the in typical Western fashion, there's just like the moment of silence, the moment of truth, and then who's quickest to the draw? They all go. To shoot Cobb Vanth He in two shots Takes out three of the four Pikes that are there His first shot takes two of them out Then his next shot you can tell He actually kind of purposely Leaves the one alive just so he can tell them Hey look yeah, Go back and say none of this is going to happen Anymore I'm in charge around here And then when he says leave the You know leave the drugs here The spice and then he kicks it on over This was I thought a fantastic opening Uh. I 
I it, I think it might might have been I'm thinking back my favorite opening of the whole series because it was just a per, you know a beautiful image of the spice like blending into the sand and such a you know he, they say like oh what does he say like oh I can retire now right because this is worth more than your town and he just kicks it over I was like I mean I'm I'm for lack of a better word it was just so badass it, like, was. it was a great great moment. Uh, great character beat. Uh, Timothy Oliphant's readings are just line readings are off the charts. It's just perfect. And um, I, I want to be in the show. I want to spend more time with this guy. And yeah. I will see him next week. Like, because mm-hmm. if unless you see someone <laughs> like take their very last breath on screen in Star Wars, you can be mm-hmm. sure they're not dead. It's it's usually the case in Marvel too. Usually the case in in yeah. those. Yeah. So I'm with you. He. This was awesome. This was just fantastic. A great little opening scene here, as he, uh, the the Pike that he left alive said, "This is worth your your whole t- more than your whole town." And uh, yeah, he said, "Confederate a fine for trespassing, and maybe I'll retire." And then he just kicks it over, and the the spice just blows in the wind. We get the title six chapter screen from the desert comes a stranger, yeah. and we p- pick back up with our buddy Mando. Who we get a, like a cool look at the cockpit in his ship now, and sort of how his ship is built, and how things are different from when Anakin was flying in it years prior. You know, you know, just sort of looks yeah. a little different and a little updated. So, and this was really cool because we're like in the ship that was flown by Anakin, and we're with R two, with R right. two, yep, heading right down to see R two and Luke, and. And that's who he runs into And it's R2 is great man R2 is just like one that I sure, I'm sure everybody just smiles When he pops up It's like ah oh, freaking R2 here And you know Mando says Hello friend I'm looking for Skywalker And uh They don't they Have they still not named this planet I haven't seen it anywhere Me neither and named. I tried to look it up I think it's still like um, an unnamed planet Where you know Luke and Grogu were training And he first runs into R2, Mando does, and he follows R2 to the the where this Jedi the Jedi school is being built by these ant droids, which yeah. are just awesome. They I are that, they remind yeah. me uh Matt of the movie Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Have you you remember that yeah. one with oh, yeah. Auntie, the little you know, when they're down there and they're riding yeah. this ant around and it looks so much sort of like these ants or the that you know this ant like saves them and, it, and they all jump on it and ride him around through the yard. And I was just laughing. I was like, it remi- just the look of them and the way they move. These things are uh, cool. They're yeah. picking up blocks and they're setting up oh the school God. here. Yeah. I'm watching. I'm, I'm actually have some of the images going on my, my computer while we talk about it. And you're right. The movement of the legs very much like that. Uh, the way it's constructed. I, I definitely see the, the connection mm-hmm. with the ant. Yeah. That's great. Love the the look of some of these new uh, these droids that we've been seeing, as you know. And what's cool about this is like R two is overseeing the project. You yeah, R two is overseeing the project. Mando like has this aversion of droids. Um, it's a super. I mean, the droids feel so prequely to me. I mean yeah. that again as a compliment. <laughs> um, it it felt. It's one of those moments where the show breathes in a good way, where it this the visuals tell 
you something and not the characters tell you what what to think or what's happening. Like you see it kind of emphasizes how Luke is solitary. It shows he's done some research on Jedi architecture because mm-hmm. these mirror the ones he'll ultimately uh, inhabit at Octu. There's just a lot going on visually in this in this scene and kind of the the subtext of it being all 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 droids right who are the welcoming mm-hmm. party to mando there, there's it's a beautiful touch feels totally feloni i don't know if he actually designed them but it it screams feloni to me and and like this is such a really great job by pascal in scenes like this where it's it's humor like there's such humor with just him and the droids here yeah he's not I, you can't even see his face it's him and droids, but you like there are funny like it's, there's like a funny sense. He's like, "What's going on? Where is everybody? Wait, is this a bench? You're yeah. building me a bench? What am I? <laughs> how long am I going to be here? Like, what's going? Like, what? Anybody? Anybody? You know? It was it's it's funny. It was just like he's looking around, like, what the hell's going on? I think there's a little, in a sense, too. I I wonder if he's a bit scared, just kind of nervous. This was a kid that he was taking care of for a while, and you know, he doesn't know a whole lot about the Jedi. Yeah. He doesn't know a whole lot about Luke or Ahsoka or any of them. He kind of knows that he's got this dark saber that is sort of got something to do with them. That is obviously this incredibly powerful weapon. He knows what the kid can do. He's seen what Luke can do. He's he's probably like a parent would be, yeah. sort of too. You know, you it, he does. I I do think you can sense him feeling a lot more comfortable when he just sees him that he's okay. From a distance, you know, yeah. when we come up in a little bit. But this was, I thought this was a lot of, this was funny. What am I sitting on this bench for? What the hell's going on? You know? And yeah, I like, saw, I think that was kind of being memed a bit too. That like, you know, Mando often has these obvious lines, I guess. There's there's other lines like that. And and um, yeah, it was an odd, I, it's not the, it, it's not the introduction I expected. I mean, I never expected we'd be on this planet. But it was a kind of upending of of your immediate expectations, or, or a, you know, we they're further delaying our gratification. Exactly. We, we're, but not for too much longer not because long. yeah, you're right. we see some scenic shots of this planet, and then Grogu meditating with Luke, and a, a frog sort of distracts Grogu, who uses the Force to bring the frog all the way up. And Luke opens his eyes right at the moment when Grogu is about to eat the frog, as he says Grogu, and then uh, then Luke just to kind of I guess play around with Grogu and and is as a throwback to what Yoda did um, previously when uh, when lifting the the big uh, the big ship up, he puts all the frogs up in the air that are around. There's like twenty of them. And Grogu's eyes get big. He's kind of showing him, look, this is the power that you can have. Yeah. You know, I think, I think kind of telling him if you focus and if you play your cards right, this will be you. You can lift all these frogs up in the air. It was just kind of a fun little scene with the two of them playing yeah. back and forth yeah. here. Yeah, it was, it was my, it was, I think kind of the first moment where I was like, okay, I'm here for this Luke. I, I said last week, I, I'm a little lukewarm on on dipping back into the luke well but um when they do these weird things like just luke lifting up a bunch of frogs is weird (laughs) uh but it's such a nice you know touch because we've seen and especially in season two was 
was almost an obsession of Grogu's, right? And so mm-hmm. he's both almost almost making almost teasing Grogu. Yes. But yes. like you said, showing him the power of the force and how almost decentering his his cravings. I mean, Grogu is still very much about the next meal and <laughs> uh, Luke's showing him how, how trivial it is. Like, look how easily I can lift up all these frogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a kind of, you know, layered. Yeah. Yeah. It's a kind of layered scene in that way. So we now, so Luke kind of can sense that, you know, time for a break, right? Like you see, teacher can tell coach coach can tell, Hey, we need a water break. We need a few minutes here. Take time to yourself and let's go for a walk. So Luke, you know, starts to tell him, I want to let you know who you, you remind me of someone. Uh, you remind me a great deal. His name was Yoda. He was small like you, but his heart was huge and the force was strong in him. He once said to me, size matters not. And then the next line was just great. That's how he talked. Yeah. <laughs> he just yeah. he would speak in riddles. Yeah. Have you ever heard anyone talk like that back home? Do you remember back home? Mm-hmm. Now this was where they did a pretty good job with designing the setup of this. You know, they're walking together. Yeah. So you can show us what's going on in the planet. We don't need to be close up on Luke's face this whole time. Yeah. You know, so this is a really good job of like He's talking, they're showing us, they're designing. You don't even think about it because it's natural, it's part of the scene. But when you look, you know, when you really think about it, it's, it's a smart way to do it. Some of the verb, like the words that they use, it's a little bit easier to say the, you know, back home, back home. They repeat that. It's kind of easier with the mouth movement and stuff. So they're really figuring this, uh, this out. And these scenes with the two of them walking, and then we see them a little later training, um, I thought, I, I just, you know, you get kind of goosebumps to kind of, yeah. you know, just thinking about Luke and Yoda. Yeah, they're, you know, I, they really, when, when was Mandalorian season two wrapped in December. late 2020? Yeah, like or, a December, I think. December so like a year. Right? Like I a, mean, they've, they've made considerable leaps in, in, I mean, they're almost, they're almost showing off, right? He's in broad daylight, whereas exactly. before I was in a more kind of, not darkly lit, but kind of, uh, monochromatic uh, uh, Imperial cruiser, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and he and in Luke was noti- noticeably static in the Mandalorian season two when he arrives and talks to to folks. And here you get that sense of him moving. Um, you're you're seeing him from multiple angles, and we 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 know right. We know it's it's computer wizardry. I wonder, and I don't know who would be the test for this because almost everyone in Mark Hamill's so recognizable, but you know, I, I, would a child know something was wrong? Let's say right. like a, yes. a 10 year old knows something was off with this. I know. Um, because he, we're so good at reading <laughs> eyes and cues and. But this is uh, really well done. But it's I mean, quite. Yeah, I mean, and and this is, you know, to quote Count Dooku, this is just the beginning. I mean, yeah, it's clear. I mean, there's quite a future now for for Luke and Leia who knows and Han. Who else I mean, Han, right? You know, That's one when, person who we can probably talk a little bit about towards the end because there have been a lot of rumors that that someone who could end up showing up in in here because I mean, you think about all of the people that he's tied with. That are in this show, I mean, it would, 
it would make a hell of a lot of sense if it, this guy. It would have made a hell of a lot of sense, like maybe three or four episodes. No, ago. you're right. I, I can't. Th- this show cannot even do justice to half of the characters they have on the table it's now. It's insane. I know. That, it's insane. It is. Know, my, my vote is strongly to like try to land the ship you've 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 got here. Got. You know, finish some of, or better flesh out some of the stories that you started to tell before you bring in a whole nother one that's just going to knock you like yeah. whoa you know take us in a whole different direction but um but, so but, yeah go ahead but you are i mean fool me once i mean we might be here in a week talking about how we saw han and luke again on tatooine like mm-hmm. <laughs> the show the pike stuff the kira stuff if you think about the movie yeah. solo you know there's a lot of ways that they kind of could tie together they could be someone behind you know the the pike i and they know it that would, amelia clark's gonna be more, but it was another one of those things like you said it should have been maybe hinted at a little bit more in some of the stuff with boba and the pike this would it would feel a little bit out of left field in in how they've been telling the story in this episode in this i mean in this series yeah yeah i in in many ways i you know the kira but, stuff which is a very logical kind of I think a reasonable prediction at this point they this show has spent correct me if I'm wrong has there been a scene that has ever been from the point of view of the Pike syndicate or really any gangster no. family no. they're always as uh, it, from the point of view of someone encountering them mm-hmm. right yep. and so they really have no life we've you know we that's a great point. Profit, that's they a, have profit motive, right? But they really have point. no kind of internal logic that's or internal organization that is made evident to the audience, such that at this point, you know, to start off episode seven with the transmission from Kira would be pretty abrupt in mm-hmm. in regard to the way that the story has or this show has told the story of the underworld, which I really don't think it has, but you know, in, in terms of the point of view of the show, right? So Luke asks Grogu if he wants to remember. We we get the the really cool, you know, the John Williams Yoda theme being played. We get the the Grogu theme being played, and we actually see uh like a flashback scene of Order sixty six from. And it's it's really interesting how this is done because you get a little bit from Grogu's perspective, but then you also get sort of like Luke watching in on a com- Grogu's memory. Mm-hmm. It's kind of really cool the way they they do it. And oh, it's it has the same kind of iris effect mm-hmm. as when uh, I think Anakin's visions. Yes, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we. See, you know, Jedi being killed. We see, like, you know, fire. We don't really know much, though. We don't know who's exactly getting killed. We don't really know what's going on. And this was a a brutal time period. I mean, one of the all time worst for the Jedi. There was only a few that end up surviving. We don't exactly know how Grogu survives. We don't know much of what happens. We sort of see the moment where it looks like there are some troopers that are starting to kind of. Storm down on him But then do they say something like hey over there Or there yeah yeah like they they see Him it looks like yeah Yeah, I think They're coming for him but that's It we don't we don't know more than That 
on my second watch, I got the sense that they were looking for him or mm-hmm. coming for him. And that yeah. they were maybe he was go, poking go, his go. head out of something he yeah. was hiding or something like that. And they saw him. It almost he we, who saved Grogu, who protected him right now. We know that there are three Jedi on on that one planet with uh, with Ahsoka, with Luke and with Grogu. And I, th- th- this was a big night, the uh, night of Order 60 or Order 66 and everything that went down. And that that particular night, that's something you find out more about in. Um, all sorts of different stuff yeah. I mean you know all sorts of the animated Stuff but this was a, a little Flash that we got and then You could tell that this Completely drained Grogu And took a lot out of him because the next Time we see him he's in a different Place they're sitting yeah. by a lake it's at Like Luke probably picked him up and carried him yeah. Over here and let him rest and And now he's he's healed so These are memories that they're Extremely Excruciating to for Grogu to revisit. We're I'm sure going to get more and more about what happened after, but you could see that even just a little glimpse like this completely drains the little man. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I think you were mentioning like who saves him. That that clip made me think that he isn't saved. That You're he right. may have been under Imperial custody. Mm-hmm. Maybe later he's saved. He obviously gets he's. Off the Empire's grid when the the uh, Mandalorian starts, but you know if if indeed Grogu is tied to this entire you know Palpatine cloning project, and you think about the it, very beginning of how the Mandalorian started, right, with how Mandal Mando actually found him and the tests being run and what they wanted to do, yeah. right? This is someone who could have been in their capture, escaped their capture, and maybe. Maybe this is the moment when he does get captured following yeah. this. Yeah. So I I suspect we'll see that yeah, story. I think so too. <laughs> As yeah. Luke welcomes him back and he tells him that the galaxy is a dangerous place, Grogu. I will teach you to protect yourself. So they're just sitting kind of by a lake, but we check back in with, with Mando, who wakes up, he hears a noise, he kind of wakes up and he's got his he's got his gun ready to fire, and it's Ahsoka. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was almost, I was almost kind of numb. I was almost numb at this point. I'm like, of course, Ahsoka's there, and right, the show, yeah. you know, it's that classic. This happens on TV all the time, where the character is like, "Why are you here? I thought you said, you know, you didn't want to train the boy." And like, this show doesn't need. I mean, we can come up with any number of reasons of why Ahsoka's there. Uh, but it's because someone <laughs> someone needs to run interference with him and really kind of mm-hmm. deliver the 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 hard truth that Mando needs to hear. And it makes sense for it to be Ahsoka. And, and um, well, we'll get to, you know, her her first depiction on, on film, of course, with with Luke, which is monumental. Yeah, I think in 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 Star Wars. I mean, it's a monumental event. It can't be uh, understated. Yeah, so, but but no, I I think uh, Ahsoka's interesting. I, you know what? Why why do you think she's there? Let me let me ask you that. Why do you think she's on the planet? <laughs> Some people were asking her. Her and Luke, they got something going on. That would be oh. weird. And you start playing all these different games. No, I think I do think she is also one. I don't know how many of the other you know Jedi are around. I think she's just kind of curious about Luke, honestly. Like I think she's kind of checking in on him from a like I, I think she gets a a sense over Luke, maybe how Anakin felt towards her. Mm. 
like a Padawan sense of maybe I I'm gonna look out for this kid. Yeah. You know, like like I knew his father. Th- that's sort of why I think she's around. Um, and I and I'm I'm sure she is kind of conflicted about Grogu also, right? Because she didn't really want to train him. She could see that he might not be in the right mind to be trained. So I think yeah. she's just kind of wanting to see what Luke is. Is this gonna work? Is Luke going to do something that I didn't know I mean I, I think she's just kind of overall curious About that in particular so maybe, maybe for a yeah. few Different reasons but there seems like There's enough purpose for her to be there I think Yeah no I, I think and, and I it's I didn't get the Sense that this was The first time like she had met Luke The day before or two days right before. No they feel like they like, knew each other um, A little bit more than that right Yeah so so that'll that'll be be interesting. I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if we see Luke and Ahsoka on this planet again in her show, right? Mm-hmm. Like we see what she was doing two days before. Completely. And maybe agree. she was talking to Luke about something, right? You know, yep. getting information for, for something. Because it feels like she was there for a visit. Like that, I mean, I think that that much is clear from the show. That mm-hmm. she's not living there temporarily. She's there on a visit. Yep. Um she has a so, purpose. Yeah, she does yeah. have a purpose to be there. It's not yeah. just I'm just scope. Yeah, more than just scoping everything out. I think she. I think that's that's probably a better way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So Mando says he's here to see the kid, and Ahsoka kind of laughs. She said, "That's why R two brought you to me," and um, she tells him that they're going to be building a great school, and that Grogu will be the first student. And Mando wants Mando wants to know how he's doing. She said that he's doing fine, and Mando wants to see him. She says, I know that you do. Let's take a walk. So she said, I warned you when, you know, when we met about your attachment to Grogu, that it would be difficult to let go. Mando, it's really, it's pretty adorable that he keeps calling him a a foundling. You know, he was a Mandalorian foundling in my care. I just want to make sure he's safe. And we find out that that is the case. He genuinely cares enough about him that he just wants to make sure he's safe. He just, he doesn't want to interfere with his training. He wants to let Grogu Kind of decide for his own um, For himself and Ahsoka walks Mando over To the place where they can literally See Grogu and Luke off in the distance Training yeah. Grogu can't see Mando but he can see the two of them And ah- Ahsoka can as well She lets him know there There is no place in the galaxy More safe than here with Luke Yeah yeah. As he kind of questions it he says I don't understand Skywalker wants to train him but you wouldn't She says It was his choice I don't control the wants of others Yeah That's when Mando says okay it's my choice to go and see him You know and he, he starts yeah. to Walk over he's like I want to see my buddy And Soka says Of course if that's what you wish But are you doing this for Grogu Or for yourself uh, That's just good life advice Right there I mean yeah, you know, like right? How it, it it was a it, it it surprised me, but it was the right, you know, it was a moment that felt uh, I don't know if this is the right way to put it earned emotionally. Like it made sense because we we want to see the reunion. hundred percent. Right? And and Din Jaren wants it. But why do we want it? Right. And why does Din Jaren want it? And it it it, it kind of. Kind of unsettles the viewer a bit too, It is right realize, it's not what's oh, best what, for Grogu Because he, right. it's true right What is best for him is to kind of yeah. Have a little more training figure out if this is what he wants And then he can go back with, with Mando But oh, Yeah this was This was like 
heart like like you know at the heartstring stuff right here where he then just does say hey I just want to give him this and she asks why so he will remember you and I love that Ahsoka is just kind of like smirking kind of a little bit too you know she's serious but she's sort of like she, I think she really does appreciate the connection they have for yeah. one another and she can tell that he genuinely cares about about Grogu and yeah. um he says no because as a Mandalorian foundling, he should have this. It's his right. This armor will protect him. She says, well, he he perhaps he's a Padawan now. But she said, if you're set on it, allow me to deliver it to him. And then the next, like the the longing in his voice when he said, I came all this way. He's right there. Yeah, I I've had. Yeah, I don't want to get too into the weeds of specific, but I've had moments in my life where like I literally was like minutes away. I actually remember once in high school, I was back. You know, this was after I was I was back at LaSalle and trying to meet up with a friend and I saw them from a distance, but I waited too long to approach them and then didn't get to see them. Right. Ultimately, in my visit at all, I was back home from college like and and this sense of being so close to something. I mean, we can think about any experience in our life where you're like so close and like you cannot like bridge that gap for whatever reason because of chance or because of like these other, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, other considerations and stuff. There was just something very, uh, it was a, you know, a moment of, of restraint in a show that's been like, let's put it all out there kind of. Right, yeah. Um, and I'm not, interested in star wars gratifying all my desires although i'm worried that's where the business is headed mm-hmm. uh because but, many but of it's my nice desires... that they don't give you everything like this right you said right. this would have been such an easy like oh here he is they see each other he runs up they hug you know boom it's... it would have been a great moment but now yeah. when it happens inevitably if it's in ne- this next episode episode seven if it's in season three of the mandalorian whenever we see it next we 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 got enough of what we needed with seeing Grogu, seeing Mando want to see Grogu, seeing Grogu long like that was all enough to mm-hmm. now like you said it at the same time we've earned it emotionally, but it also satisfied I think enough of um of of sort of our wants like okay how's Grogu doing what's going on with Mando we got to check in with all of that and um geez, what's, as, in, what's important yeah. to me in like. Any storytelling is that characters do things that like make sense, like seem to emerge or reasonably emerge from the kinds of decisions they would make or could make or could not make. Right. And and this is a a case in the show where the plot brought us like plot mechanics brought, (laughs) you know, uh, uh, Mando on his ship to this planet in a, it was a little. It's a little forced, right? How we we steered back into the Mandalorian, but ultimately the way this encounter or lack thereof plays out felt very grounded and true to the characters' wants, desires, but also like um, uh, inability to fulfill those desires, right? Because it 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 really pit Mando's uh, mm-hmm. wishes against what was best for Grogu. So that's. Um, that's something that this show hasn't had enough of where yeah. I find I'm never quite sure why people are doing what they're doing 
or why character A has now moved from <laughs> point B to C. Like things just seem to happen in the show. And this was a moment of, of action or inaction that is grounded in characterization. And I really like that. She says, if you're set on it, then allow me to deliver it. Grogu misses you a great deal. If he sees you, it will only make things more difficult for him. And Mando agrees. He looks at Grogu, kind of sees that he he's doing okay, and he gives the gift, the little armor, to Ahsoka. And as he gets on his way, you can see that Grogu sort of senses that the Mando was there as he leaves. He kind of reaches out to him, oh, you know, in this just like, oh, you know, he reaches his little hand out. That's as, the moment. That yeah. was the moment for me. I thought that was, you know, I'm. I'm I'm into that <laughs> like they've got me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that that was beautiful. And and on the rewatch, the fact that Luke says something, which is is also notable because we know he knows that the Mandalorian was there, but he is being in not he's not acknowledging the longing that Grogu feels mm-hmm. directly to him. So that's a kind of cool character moment, also. Luke. Wants to continue the training with Grogu So they start working on jumps And Grogu is just not into this Right I think emotionally he's probably Like a little distracted there And he does Jump like nothing Does another jump really that's all you got Luke tells him bend down jump And as you do feel the force flow Through you and it just doesn't Seem to be connecting with Grogu Right now he says you're trying too hard Don't try do As Grogu just kind of looks sort of sad and disappointed in himself. Yeah. And Luke says, Come on, I want to show you something. So Luke starts doing the running with Grogu in the backpack, like he did with Yoda. He's flipping all over the place. He's jumping, he's climbing trees. And this cool moment where they climb up these like bamboo sticks, and the two of them sort of look off in the beauty of the landscape as Luke tells him the wide world exists in balance. Feel the force all around you Through the force You will find balance as well And it was a very cool visual Like this was a very Star Wars-y Sort of looking off Into the sunset kind of moment There as They you know they continue along With the training and Grogu is balancing now on one leg on a ledge As you said there's a lot of things that He's teaching what he knows He's teaching the same things that his Teachers taught him the same yeah. lessons that they put him through The same exercises that they That he did He's now on the other end Showing them to Grogu Trying to get Grogu to learn Harness his powers the best And the only thing I thought that was pretty funny Is um, you know first <clears throat> He it seems like Grogu's now starting to pick things up You know little by little we're seeing him Sort of figuring things out Luke gets out the lightsaber And Grogu is like amazed by that and then we get the the training remote, which I thought was cool, which yeah. was a what we saw Luke use. The only thing I was like, Luke had a lightsaber to defend himself. Poor Grogu doesn't have anything. He just got to jump and du- and dive this thing all over the place. Like Luke could bat the bat the things back at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I there. You know this this whole sequence gets to the, you know it it that kind of beautiful and haunting and and. Why I say haunting, you know, so so you have that scene where Luke is looking out, kind of has climbed to the top of these, you know, bamboo trees or whatever, 
and they're looking out and the 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 world exists in balance or you know the 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 force exists in balance and yet this whole show is a very like is about those dangerous places that don't exist in balance and i can't help but know you know the the contrast between this jedi planet and tatooine is so stark like what what we see happening in tatooine and what is happening on this jedi jedi planet that I don't know if this is really a, a message or thing the show's interested in exploring, but it also, it to me, it kind of reminds the viewer, or reminds me, I should say, that the Jedi are kind of removed, right? This is the the mistake that Luke will ultimately make, the 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 you know, in recreating some of the the problems with the Jedi Order, um, and and I don't think the show is really exploring that. Um, but there is something weird about how removed Luke is from this show. Mm-hmm. And and because because it is contrasted with the Tatooine scenes, this could have been a 30 minute episode of The Mandalorian. And then that that layer wouldn't exist. But it matters that it's contrasted with the, the Tatooine scenes because it's how we're experiencing it. And so you see the serenity contrasted with this, um, you know, uh, this looming threat in, in, in Tatooine. Um, so I don't know what to make of that. If the show's even interested in that, but, but I have to, I'm just trying to make sense of why they're giving us the story in the way they are. And I don't know, maybe there is a design, maybe there's not. I don't. Why, 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 why was it presented this way as uh Poor Grogu. He's just jumping around, dodging it. First, he first, he thinks it's a ball. He just rolls it. Luke kind of chuckles. No, that's not how it works. It will test your reflexes. This is how it works. And it starts to shoot at Grogu. The first time it sort of knocks the little guy over. But Luke says, get back up. Always get back up. And then as it shoots the next time, Grogu leaps up and he flips around and he dodges it. And now the next time, you know, Luke, very good. Complimentary to him uh, as he's learning Grogu continues jumping around And really starts getting the hang of it And as I'm like smiling And laughing it's like oh my gosh Ahsoka Tano just walks in the back Like just Like what she's like walks right behind Luke And they just look at each other and like smile Yeah what the hell is happening here Yeah I The the framing of, of the scenes With Luke and Ahsoka and the the CG rendering were some of the best and most believable to me. Um, they really they really nailed it. I I um, there there's something. So let me ask you a question. I you know she she looks at Luke and says so much like your father, right? Yeah. So she first she kind of talks about how the Grogu's learning. She said, you know, you've done a great job with him. You've taught him well. Luke says it's more like he's remembering. Then I'm actually teaching him anything and Then her next line was Sometimes the student guides the master Yeah which is of course a, <laughs> I mean that's how she was With, with Anakin I mean mm-hmm. Anakin learned so much from her They had a um, great relationship too Where it was like you know it honestly Was like a bro- like an older brother younger sister Type dynamic You know Anakin obviously I, I didn't even get the, the sense as much of like a father son dynamic with no, or a father daughter. No. It was definitely more like an older brother, kind of younger They're, sister. Yeah. And yeah. they have some great, great scenes and missions and um, story arcs that usually take a few episodes through the the Clone Wars stuff. And Luke, uh, so I mean, 
wow this was just wow to me as uh, luke says the mandalorian was here as ahsoka said um a response to Luke I told you Those two share a strong bond And he brought him a gift So she hands the gift to Luke Luke says I, Sometimes I wonder if his heart is in it As they are watching Grogu Yeah. And she responds So much like your father Was his heart in it Yeah I don't know that line That line kind of confused me Me too me too um, because because I never thought I guess I didn't think of Anakin as his heart wasn't in it. I thought I always think of Anakin as I mean, his too heart much was heart too much in it. Exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah, 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 that's yeah, that was or that was kind of a confusing line or you know, we we understand what what they mean, but it sort of feels like it should be the opposite. That, but then, you know, yeah, I, I need to go back. I don't know if she's saying like that that so much like his heart wasn't in it. Oh, like your father, or or she's just kind of taking in his maturity and like you know, I, or she's just kind of in awe of him, saying so much like your father, like the way you're handling this teaching. Could that have been the meaning? Yes, like you you are so much like your father right now. Yeah. You're acting so much like your father with what you're yeah. doing. You know, I, oh wow, I'm proud of you, Luke. You just remind me so much of your father. Kind of, is it a line to Luke, or yeah. is it a line about Grogu? Right. That, that's you know, that's. I, that, I think it's to Luke, but there I was too. something about it makes, that. it makes a lot more sense if it would be to, that way than the Grogu, because the Grogu thing, like we said, would feel backwards because that is the thing about Anakin is that he had a lot of heart. So she's probably looking at Luke teaching Grogu. And rem- and being reminded of Anakin of, and her of Anakin teaching, yeah, that makes that makes more sense. It didn't Absolutely. land on me the, me the first time. No, I, I was obviously trying to talk it out in a different way. I'm glad that's why that's why you make the big bucks, man. That's why we're here. You know, that's <laughs> you know we we could talk this whole thing out together. Yeah. So yeah, break it down. Um, um, I I have one more. You know, before we leave, I guess we you know before we we'll come back to Luke. When we come back to Luke, we should talk about the attachment thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess that that may make more sense with the the final scene with Luke, Luke and Grogu. Yeah. Um, so Ahsoka's, uh, she tells Luke asks her, "What should I do?" And she says, "To trust your instincts." And then he asks, "Will I see you again?" She smiles and says, "Perhaps." So <laughs> I would think that's a pretty safe safe yeah. assumption that we will see them uh, together again at yeah. some point. May the forest be with you And she is Exit scene But we're back with Mando now And we're back in Mando's ship As he arrives at Boba's palace He checks in with the Gamorreans They let him in And we see basically Fennec She is She's got the game plan out here She's talking strategy with all of the crew And in in Boba's palace here We see them sort of Looking at the the layout of uh, of the towns, what's going on? She says the Pike Syndicate has been gathering soldiers. Mayor Mokshais is on their payroll, and he has flown off world, which leads us to believe the storm is about to break. <laughs> I love how she's like getting serious through her spiel, and the major domo kind of checks in. It was a scheduled vacation, actually, and yeah. they kind of look, look at him just like, "Shut up," you know. And <laughs> also, the storm is a bunch of pikes coming off the. Uh, you know, public transportation two episodes before. Right. I, I am. Um, I the time, <laughs> the timing yeah. of this, right? Like what's been happening. Yeah. She, I, so she, I guess she says 
The mods have done a thorough job of surveying the streets, but we lack the numbers to cover the territory if an all-out war comes. I mean, we don't know what the timing is like, but yeah, we just did spend two episodes with Mandalorian, and he had to go different places, and and seems like he covered a pretty good amount of ground, and nothing has happened here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess it it just has all seemed all the crime family stuff has seemed so removed from. Life in Mos Espa, except when it erupts in violence, and, and maybe that's the point. I mean, um, but there's been so little story in the present with Boba Fett. Like, if you think about what's actually happened, he's just—we've been introduced to characters, but there was no actual he, story. We ended the Mandalorian than, season two with him on the throne. Right, I mean he, that was he took the, the throne at the end of the t- at the end of Mando season two in that little you know post credit scene. Yeah, I mean, and then the story here amounts to take me seriously. No, there's these other people. Uh, you know, I mean, we're gonna learn that the Pikes were responsible for the massacre of the Tuscans. Um, there just doesn't seem to be much there. There, it's just that it's almost as if the story. I mean, this this episode seven will matter so much. You know, it seems like all the story is is episode seven, right? Everything's going to happen in episode seven. Like, yeah. Up till now, there's been introduction of characters, but no actual like Move, development of real the movement. Yeah. You know, what about like a scene where the mods are talking with one another? Or what if I mean, Garza Whip, you know, rest in peace. We'll talk about her was essentially just a, a hostess. And she she played, uh, you know, Jennifer Beals played the part beautifully, but she never passed secrets to to Boba Fett. She never was listening was hiding to something or even. Yeah, or we didn't realize that she was him. against Boba or setting him up or we didn't get any of that feel. She was a she she created, you know, she contributed to the atmosphere of the show. She was part of the world but she wasn't really part of the story other than to serve as the establishment where boba says quote business will continue to thrive under his watchful eye well (laughs) uh yeah i so i'm just not you know i don't i have a mick i'm just so you know either boba fett is wildly incompetent or the (laughs) the point is that this you know, for for citizens of Tatooine, it's whoever's crime. I mean, you pay your tribute to whoever the crime boss is makes no difference to to everyday life. They're all the same. You know, they're kind of like all politicians are the same, and people kind of say that, right? Um, but I don't know if the show has actually a, a something to say about that, and, and that's what really gnaws at me is that I'm even if this was a spin in. To the Mandalorian, like we'd like a little more they, there. Why did they tell this story? Yeah, this way. Why was it this yeah. this way? Like through this yeah. lens, in yeah. perspective, almost. You know, we could have probably gotten a lot of this. I don't know. It could have been a different way. Was it been better? I, I don't know. You're right. There, it just it just seems it doesn't add up. And I'm not saying that the last two episodes we haven't watched haven't been entertaining. They were fantastic episodes of TV. They just so they seem so weird to be placed at the end of the four episodes of Boba Fett that we just watched. Right. Another way to phrase a question is like in a show that was about the spiritual rebirth, initially about the spiritual rebirth of Boba Fett, um, about his 
takeover of a crime family in Tatooine, why, how does Grogu relate to this, right? Because he, ha- I mean, he has to come back into episode seven. I think that much is clear. Um, if there's no, if there's never an interaction between Grogu and Boba Fett, I will, I don't want to jump to conclusions. I will be mystified though, because mm-hmm. so far, everything that's happened in Grogu and Mandu's storyline could have happened adjacent to any other plot. Right? Absolutely. Um, and so he, I want there to be some reason why it is being told in the book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so the the rundown kind of continues. Fennec lets them know that uh, the crime families of most Espa seem willing to lay low and let the Pikes move in uh, move on our territory. This is the Mandalorian. Him and Kersantin. Now we have a little experienced muscle to act as enforcers. The mods have been doing their job, but we need more muscle if an all-out war comes. We need foot soldiers. Mando thinks he can help. So he goes and asks one of his his buddies, Cobb Vanth, who we saw at the beginning of this episode. Actually, we see as Mando heads over to ask him for help, we see that skull of that crate dragon as Mando's ship flies over and... He arrives to see Cobb Vanth And he's greeted by the deputy here Who's yeah. a little too big for his britches This deputy You know, he thinks he thinks he really runs the show here As Mando says he's looking for Marshall Vanth The deputy's I don't think you heard what I said You better you Gotta park your starship You gotta do it out there You know, Cobb Vanth comes out And says, ah, don't worry I know this guy I, This is the Mando I'll, I'll take it from here Yeah And he's you know, complimenting on look new car, huh? He's complimenting him on the Naboo Starfighter, and he asks him about Grogu. Where's the little guy? Back with his own folk. <laughs> Cobb says that's too bad. I guess we both lost something that we were fond of. As uh, Mando had referenced his armor right before yeah. that, I haven't seen you since you gave up the armor. So he jokes, you know, they both just gave up something. And then you know, armor and Grogu. Um, <laughs> Mando wants to buy him a drink. So Matt, they go sit down inside in the bar, and we kind of pick up with them right after Mando has told Cobb Vanth everything that's happening. Says, "I need you to lead a garrison. Your people are good fighters, and there's plenty of credits in there for them." Yeah, but he's, you know, Cobb doesn't really want to get involved. He said, "The peace is intact here. We got a good thing going. We took out that dragon. My people don't want to fight no more." But Mando and Boba keep kind of harping on this point when they're talking to. Everyone else who's not getting involved They're letting them know hey look You may not be in this war right now But it's going to come for you Yeah, The pikes are going to take over And what do you think is going to happen When they take over our territory They're they're just going to let you be fine out there No they're going to move and take over here So we need to come together We need to make a stand But Cobb Vanth and the bartender I think is named Weequay Yeah Weequay is a species Yeah mm-hmm. Yeah um, no, I, I think, you know, Mando doesn't know about Cobb Vance running with the Pikes. So you know, when he says, you know, sooner or later, they're going to expand on your territory. You know, he knows or rather Cobb Vance knows, you know, it's happening. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the the way this the dialogue is written in in these, you know, Western scenes and 
what is his Cobb Van says something like, "Oh, you're smiling." I, I love it when <laughs> the way you smile under yes. that helmet or whatever. It was so great to see. That's what I like about you, Mando. That big smile of yours lets you yeah. get away with anything. I mean, that feels like it could have been straight from a nineteen like, like nineteen fifty six or something. Oh, I mean, that's it, such a great line. Yeah, it's such a great line too, and just like playing on the like, oh yeah, we don't ever see the guy's face too, but it's just straight out of the way. It's his lines are so great. He delivers them so well. The the bartender, the the weak way, says, "Hey, our, our, first off, it's called Freetown now. We changed the name. It suits us better." This town wants no part of it. Yeah, Mando's is being complimentary. Look, I fought side by side with the citizens of Freetown. They're brave people. The Pike Syndicate has us outnumbered, and we need your help. Hey, we don't want any part of it. That's a fight for city folk. Yeah, you know, Mando asks Cobb Vant, "Is that what you say too?" You know, and the Cobb says, "Hey, you and me, we're square." Mm-hmm. And Mando agrees. You're right. I, you don't owe me anything, but I didn't think you were one to back down from bullies. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, you're seeing, you know, the refusal of the call is a classic, you know, it, classic storytelling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but to the, to their credit, although I don't, I'm not, I don't love the way they've brought together these different strands. I mean, Cobb Vanth is pretty integrally tied to Boba Fett, right? He has this, this close History or kind of recent history with the Tuscan Raiders as well. It really kind of makes sense for him to be in the show, um, and this idea of the threat, you know, or or the reach of the Pikes broadening, it makes sense, right? And so you are creating this threat that is going to ultimately bring together this disparate—I mean, disparate—with <laughs> a capital D group of people, right? To to stand up to this bully. Um, it's not a, you know, it's a pretty classic setup, I think, in some ways. Um, and I almost, I, you know, don't want to beat a beat a dead bantha, but I, I wish the show <laughs> had more fully committed to like life on Tatooine for yeah. these different groups and how their lives intersect in a way. I mean, if um, we would have gotten an episode like that, like we got with the Tuscans. Yeah, just to see more of how the the like you said the the society works. How do things work there, right? I don't. We don't need to have like a them going into the the post office and stuff, but right. Just curious, like, give me a few more. You know, going into a couple places in the town, right? Pop into another bar or, or cantina place, or you know, where we can he- overhear some of the town business happening, right? Yeah. Like we got that in some episodes of of Mandalorian when he would pop into places, you'd sort of see him. Kind of eavesdropping on things, or it just it, it was not very well fleshed out. That's my, yeah. you know, one of my gripes. I mean, I, I'm going to have some gripes about this show, and it's not going to be that it wasn't good or entertaining. It's just going to be it was sort of like a weird puzzle to put together. Yeah. You know, yeah, it doesn't. You know, maybe we'll we'll we could table this discussion about why why did they do this the way the way they did it. Um, but th- there there's some big question marks on this show and. It feels, on one hand, it feels like there were missed opportunities. On the other hand, I have to remind myself to watch and critique and enjoy the show that is being presented and not the show I wanted, right? And so I think I wanted a show where Garza Whip and Cobb Vanth were more central um, and and the kind of tone they 
they bring to their scenes was uh, characterize the show at large, but it's not that, and that's okay, right? They're trying to tell a bigger story. And so, you know, I'll go into the finale with an open mind, but um, it's it's probably an impossible task to to satisfy all my, you know, or write all the the gripes that I've outlined. <laughs> but, you know, nothing's perfect, so. <laughs> so now we... So Mando leaves, he, but before he does, he gets a little emo. He says, you know, there's no easy way to ask for a favor. That was cool, yeah. And as Cobb says, I'll tell you what, things are tough around here, but I'll see what I can do. And as the Mandalorian leaves, Cobb Vance wants to help. He tells the, the weak way, hey, go get the word out. I want all the men and women of fighting age to come to town. I want to have a meeting. The weak way says, it's not our problem, Marshall. No, but it might be after they hear what I'm going to say. Yeah, and that makes me, I mean, I think Cobb Vanth, I don't think he needed much convincing from nope. Mando. No. Right? He he wanted a, to air it out. When uh, I mean, he, he's, a, he's had a couple of his own interactions with the Pikes now. Right. Um, and so, you know, is when they hear what I have to say, like, he's not doing a favor for Mando. I mean, yeah, I like, they've got this interesting relationship, but I think he knows that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not one to to show all his cards. And as much as this is helping out Mando, he he's helping them out. They right. need to keep this town free town if they want. Right. And moments later, we see a figure off in the distance, cowboy hat, duster, and Cobb Vanth immediately gets a little, maybe a little nervous. You kind of just feel the you know, that when you when there's that scary figure walking off, you kind of you see the wind blow. A little and you get that vibe So he, he tells everyone around To go inside Get these people to head inside for a spell I'm going to err on the side of safety The deputy comes out What's going on boss And Cobb Van tells him let me handle this Get inside Deputy kind of says I don't want to leave you alone Well he pushes him back inside And the figure makes his way closer And he stops maybe about 10-20 feet away From, from Cobb Van Not right there but not, not all that far away He's face down We don't see their eyes But we do see a blue skin And tubes coming out of his cheeks Sharp teeth That you mentioned Reminds me of like Pennywise The you know the it yeah. teeth That you see from him when he's How do you like the fangs that come out And He walks up and says whatever Fett is paying you will match And all you've got to do is stay put And let things play out Pretty pretty good. Nice. Not bad. I was listening. I've probably watched this yeah. episode like six times. But like, anyways, he says yeah. the, the deputy kind of comes out and interrupts and says, "Hey, the marshal isn't for sale." And Cobb looks back and he gives the deputy this like, "Shut up, look. I told you, you know, stay inside." Said, "I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name." Cad Bane looks up, orange, smoky eyes. Says, "I'd be careful where I was sticking my nose if I were you." And Cobb asks. Is that advice or a threat? Cad continues, Boba Fett is a cold-blooded killer who worked with the Empire. And then Cobb kind of interrupts him and says, hey, you tell your spice runners tattooing is closed for business. This planet's seen enough violence. Cad slows it down again and says, you should have never given up your armor. Yeah. And this the moment is, of truth there, right? Yeah. 
this is you know my I, one of my favorite lines from this episode was Boba Fett is a cold-blooded killer, right? And and it's it's again something the show hasn't really looked dealt with or or I mean there's this weird subtext of or why does he want to control this criminal underworld, right? Um and and I, I just appreciated how the audience is reminded of the Boba Fett from Empire Strikes Back from Return of the Jedi. And there's that sense of the past is cut, catching up with Boba Fett, which has not been a theme of the show, really, up till that line. But I found it a really, like, you know, sometimes the, the most powerful moments with villains are often when they deliver some sort of truth. And that was kind of true, right? Yeah. Um, he worked and, for the Empire. He was a cold-blooded yeah. killer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the the twist with the armor, right? I mean, because we just had that line where it's like, oh, we both lost something. Um, and of course, in the eyes of the audience, right, that was Boba Fett's armor. But, you know, mm-hmm. it was Cobb Vance for five years or whatever. Um, and And now we get this kind of fateful twist of not having the armor, right? And so he's he's even in a way he becomes even more closely bound to Boba Fett in a way, right? Because yep. <laughs> um Boba Fett is, is the kind of driving force at, well, I guess that's not true, right? Because first Mando needs to get the armor from him. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. right? I mean that armor That's how they're all tied. Right. Together. That's how they're all tied through this Ma- Mandalorian armor. So a little just backstory for some of the people who may not have watched uh, some of the animated series or if you don't know Cad Bane all that well. He was the most famous bounty hunter before Boba, you know, and, and in the range of like the most vicious, the most feared. Actually, he was trained by Django and then he sort of trained Boba himself so they have a very Unique relationship when you look into Some of the text and and So they you know they've crossed Paths before Boba and uh, Cad obviously Have a, a ton of history Cad is someone who uh, The dent on Boba's helmet Is from Cad Bane mm. The I think that was a was going to be a Clone Wars episode, but it yeah. never was released. I it, it, exactly. I think it was something that was in the workings, but never ended up being released once the show got canceled, I, I think. And yeah, from the original, I think it was Cartoon Network or the pre was canceled prior to the Disney acquisition, then re- relaunched. Yeah. So that device he's got that it goes down his throat and it comes out his cheeks. What it is is one, he can breathe in space. Two, he's not susceptible to the force choke. So when some of the, you know, you know, the Jedi with the force can choke, he you can't do that to him. You he's also very strong and and incredible in some of the encounters that he's had with the Jedi that you see with Obi-Wan in some of the battles like he's almost able to. You know, fend off of all of their attempts to get inside of his head to force him to do things. This is a legitimate dude. He can. He also has a ton of gadgets: flamethrowers, electrical currents. We've seen him working with and for the Huts, Count Dooku, Sidious. So this guy has a lot of, lot of cool history that they can, you know, they can lean into that they can tell a story on. There's a lot here with this character. 
and he was in prison with Boba Fett when Boba yes. was a child, which is a kind of cool mm-hmm. uh, touch. He has he has a lot of history with with the Huts um, in in the Clone Wars as well, and in uh, the Bad Batch, he has a, a, an encounter with with Fennec Shand. We should mention he also has thrusters on his boots, which uh, would say pretty pretty good odds we're going to see those in action in in the next. Uh, episode, uh, mm-hmm. I'd bet a lot of money we're going to see Fennec Shand and and, and him have a match because Fennec uh-huh. sort of got the bet. It's funny because he would get the better of the Jedi a lot of the time in their little like skirmishes, and and he would he would definitely hold his own against multiple Jedi sometimes. And then it was Fennec who actually kind of had the better of him. So just kind of playing into that, I really love love to see the two of them. There's a lot of Thinking about what could happen in episode 7 And like playing out the battlefield here You know All these possible interactions And people who could cross paths Is a lot of fun to think about Yeah I'm a, I'm one of the things I You know I lack imagination I do, I'm not quite sure what this Climatic battle will be I don't I have but, no idea either right I don't want to like be building it up for like a lord of the rings You know type <laughs> battle but you do sort of Just assume that we're going to see all of these people kind of doing different things simultaneously, right? For one same purpose. I think Boba's team is going to be Team Boba set up against these syndicate interlopers from the Pikes. Uh, are we going to have, you know, kind of like what we saw in The Mandalorian at the end of, you know, season two, where we have, you know, you've got Bo Katan and a couple people here. You've got Boba doing his thing over here. You've got the Mando doing his thing there. I'm sort of yeah. thinking it's going to be more set up like that than just one epic battlefield. Right. You know? No, I, I guess that's what I, I'm curious to see how it plays out. Um, you know, or, or another way to put it is how they're going to make a battle with the Pikes interesting. I don't know if they're. No, you're right. Are they? They're, they're incredible martial artists. I mean, I think they have, you know, they have weapons and they've got Cad Bane. Uh, unless they have a deeper bench of bounty hunters, <laughs> we're gonna see. Um, yeah, so I, I am. I'm interested. So on a, I'm I'm interested on a story level how they're tying these threads together, but also at a on an uh, action choreography level. Exactly. Like, how are they how? gonna bring together Log- these logistically fighting styles? You know, you've got guns, you've got flamethrowers, you lightsabers, dark saber. Oh right, right. How is how is Grogu. Well, we'll get to that. I mm-hmm. is he just going to be dropped off? <laughs> but yeah, at, at any rate. Um, so um, okay, Cobb. There's that moment. There's the standoff. And as Cobb Banth kind of looks over to his deputy, it's kind of like a three way standoff. Cat Bane shoots at Cobb Vanth, shoots at the deputy, and they're both down. He then just kind of says to whoever. Tatooine belongs to the syndicate As long as the spice keeps running Everyone will be left alone And he walks That kind of answers my question Before is like why don't we really get a sense Of I mean the the pikes are almost Like ghosts in this town I mean We we, we're not really They don't have a strong presence In the most Espa scenes right Um, And I think Cobb Sorry Cobb Cad Bane kind of says it It's just like don't get don't mess With them Everything goes, you know, goes on as as planned. So we see the 
folks trying to tend to Cobb Vanth and the deputy. Somebody get on him. We need some help. Can someone call the doctor? Get a med pad. Is he okay? The marshal, is he breathing? Come on. So, as you said, we don't see him dead. Nobody says he's dead. He's got to be showing back up. He's got to be coming back up and leading some of these troops to help, um, you know, bringing a garrison in to to perhaps um, lend some uh, some extra foot soldiers and some extra muscle for Boba. Yeah, I I would don't sleep on the possibility of Cobb Vanth uh, visiting the mod par- parlor, which right? has been a theme was, in the show, like in the same area, right? Um, get get know. fixed up a little bit. Yeah, I don't know, but I think for sure he's, you know, even if he's not, you know, I guess it's possible he'll be taken out of the fight and kind of confined to wheelchair. I don't know. Where did he get shot? I don't know. It seemed like in the in the midsection, I think. Yeah, it it could be just more like he's the one who's, you know, testifies. It's his uh, his fall that really rallies. Folks rallies all of them. I I think he'll be in a a sling or whatever. And me too. He'll be in a sling and gunslinging. I I think he'll be a player player in the next episode for sure. I would agree. As we check in at Garza Whip's place. Uh, And so we have a couple pikes that enter and she seems kind of suspicious of them. So she sends a few of her employees over to, to ask if they need anything. Might we get you anything? Can we take your your helmets for a cleaning? Pikes don't seem to want anything. And okay, first of all, our guy Max Rebo nowhere to be found. He's not there. He's not I mean, in the building. What did he know? Building. And when did he know? Somebody, it? I I don't know what episode, it was on the Ringer or wherever it was. Somebody said this dude is Cersei. He knows what's going to happen before, you know, he knows yeah. something was going down. He's not in there. He somehow made it out of the bar, you know, the barge that blew up that we all thought there was no way. And uh, Max has got some secrets. He's got some deep connections here. Maybe this is all comes down to Max Rebo. He's pulling all the strings all over anything, the place. <laughs> anything is possible. Um, so Garza kind of inter- interacts with them. He says, excuse me. And... They they don't really want anything. The Pikes get up to leave, and they've left a device in the bar, and the their droid goes to give it to them back. We get a little look at Garza, who seems to know she was in trouble or something was about to happen, and the place blows up. I mean, this is like when somebody at an airport leaves a a bag or a bomb or a drug or you know a drug deal, and they leave the thing there, and you can see that there's something shady happening. They just sort of left this thing at the table. They get up and they walk away. And I kind of watched three or four times trying to figure out exactly what the look that we were getting from Garza Whip was. You know, did she know something? Did she, or was it just a uh oh, like that's got to be a bomb? But no, I think it's a realization of what's what's happening. Um, you. Garza was kind of an enigmatic character, but I think the show is just saying she was a, you know, she was a business owner that's making do with the, you know, the new, the new boss in town and was always, you know, the Pikes come in, let's, let's clean their helmets, right? Um, I think she was just a simple woman trying to make her way in the universe. I think that's the way. (laughs) No, you're right. You know, in in the end. um, And, um. I don't know. It felt it felt like it was a, a wonderful character and performance that somehow feels 
I don't want to say like, cheapened, but no, it's like window dressing almost. Water? I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the issue with the the Tuscan Raiders were were fleshed out only to be massacred, right? Garsef Whip was was uh, you know had some amazing scenes. We didn't talk about her scene with Kersantin. I thought was oh, it was great. Brilliant. It was great. And it's only to be blown up to provide motivation for, or you know, to play into the guilt complex of the main character. Yeah. There's just something a bit cheap about it. And, I agree. Um, you because I've seen people that have said, "Is Garza going to make it out of this?" But I don't think so. I mean, I think. I, I mean. Well, I don't mean you know, that was a you know, blow. We, I, we right? Yeah. The, the, uh, Palpatine made it out of Death Star too. So, so anyone can make it out of anywhere, and, but I don't. Anyone can make it out of anywhere. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. I got the point that that was like sending the message, you know, to Boba. Hey, we're blowing up one of your establishments here, and yeah. you know we mean business. Is uh, our final scene checks back in with Luke and Grogu, and they are sitting inside of the like the small school that's that's been built. Mm-hmm. As Luke shows Grogu the armor from Mandalorian, he says the Mandalorian wanted you to have this, but before you take it, I will give you a choice. He places the armor down and he then takes out the lightsaber and he shows him the green lightsaber. And when that thing lights up, it Grogu's eyes light up. They're huge. He says, this is a lightsaber that belonged to my teacher, Master Yoda. And now I'm offering it to you, but you may only choose one. If you choose the armor, you'll return to your friend, the Mandalorian. However, You'll be giving in to attachment to those that you love and forsaking the way of the Jedi. But if you choose the lightsaber, you will be the first student in my academy, and I will train you to be a great Jedi. It will take you many years to master the way of the Force, and you may never see the Mandalorian again because Grogu, a short time for you, is a lifetime for someone else. He's got them both laid out there right in front of him, and Grogu sort of looks back and forth. He looks at the lightsaber. He looks at the armor. Kind of looks back, he looks forth, and Luke asks him, which do you choose? And I swear he's like, he almost looks like he's about to speak. It almost looks like uh, he may be ready to say something. I, you know, and, and that may just be me building it up. Who the hell knows if we're ever going to get this guy talking. But yeah. he, he is like, right as he's getting ready, boom, it ends. Ugh. And so yeah. what choice will Grogu make moving forward? I can't imagine we don't see him in the Mando show back up, but it's a a tough little ultimatum for this guy, man. You're teasing him with the lightsaber there. Yeah, I I mean, this so this question of attachment, it's on one hand. Yeah, I always thought of Luke, at least in, in the original trilogy, Luke is able to think about relationships and his role as a Jedi differently than than Yoda and Obi-Wan. I think he shows that Yoda and Obi-Wan's approach was to kill Vader, right? They were they they have a pretty consistent policy toward Vader in the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. He needs to be killed. And Luke finds a different way. And I don't know if attachment's the right word, but it it is a love for his father that gives him that kind of paves that different path for him. And so, you know, it was a it's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow why he's so hung up on the attachment training, which seemed to be 
a more old school Jedi view. However, it is his attachment to Leia that is manipulated by Vader, where he gives into his anger and hate in that final battle. So I think he can see, I think he has experienced the dangers of attachment, but I was a little unsettled by the fact that, wow, he's seemingly giving or, or kind of echoing a lesson that was, you know, taught to Anakin in episode two, but he seems to have had, how does this fit with the Luke that we met in in Return of the Jedi, or that we see be, the Luke who becomes a Jedi in Return of the Jedi? Um, Man, this was, this was a lot. This was just so much to think about moving forward because like you said there's so many players out on the board now and it's not as if they have like we know they're not going to wrap everything up I mean we don't I don't expect to see everybody in the next episode but I mean combinations of people that we could possibly be seeing you know we even threw out you know Han and and, and Kira I mean Grogu, Luke, Ahsoka did any or all three of them show back up we Cobb and you know what happens there. We know we're going to get Cad Bane interacting with probably Fennec and Boba. The Rancor we haven't seen. I mean, the the Huts show back up here too. What about the Tuskins? Like we said, I mean, even Mando. Heck, he was even uh, cozying up with the uh, the Jawas. Maybe he he gets a little help from the Jawas to come over. I mean, any, it's not as if they're uh, feared soldiers, but maybe they just need some bodies over there. There are just a lot of possibilities. For the final episode That's sort of what yeah. intrigues me I don't expect all of that But I mean any combinations of those things Seem like they're on the table Yeah and let's not forget So okay on one hand The Mandalorian went to great pains To make sure Boba Fett didn't see Luke Right remember Boba Fett Leaves the final battle Like he basically drops off You know Mando Um uh, Mando and crew for that the rescue right and then he leaves and at the time I said something like well he can't see Luke he he just <laughs> he has this history with Luke and, mm-hmm. and Han and everything um, and so it's very possible they will that avoidance will continue where essentially Luke is like this is not my fight like you know drops off Grogu or whatever but and I don't think the show's going to do this, but let's not forget it is Jabba's downfall is at the hands of Luke, Han, and Leia. Jabba's downfall is what creates the story in the first place, right? It's mm-hmm. that power vacuum. Boba Fett's, you know, downfall into the Sarlacc is also directly related to this con- this conflict with Luke, Han, Leia, etc. Mm-hmm. And so he does actually have this pretty important role in the in the core event that launches this series and either they're going to totally avoid that or I just don't think they have time to actually explore it (laughs) or, or if it's, yeah, but, but it is interesting that Luke for all the separation or kind of seeming irrelevance of Grogu and Luke to Boba Fett's story, Luke has a pretty important relevance to the start of it. And the question for me then is, What's Grogu's relevance to the way it wraps up? Matt, whew, any anything that's swirling around that we haven't thrown out there that you want to uh, that you want to mention before we finish up, get out of here, and we got one more episode next week where we will put a big bow on the book of Boba Fett. We'll kind of fi- figure out where we're headed next with what's uh, on the horizon. But 
um, yeah, give give us some of your sort of final thoughts where you stand right now heading into the uh, the series finale of the book of Boba Fett. All right, uh, two to one, Boba Fett rides a Rancor. Probably better odds than that. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Like four to one, Fennec Shan and Cad Bane rematch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, four to one, Mando flies off in his N one with Grogu in the droid port in in the R two port. Uh, absolutely, he, face face seen... smushed up against the glass. Yeah. 20 to 1, Cobb Vanth visits the mod parlor. I don't know if there's enough time for that. But that would be cool. Yeah. I want to see Cobb Vanth with some uh, some some great machinery out there. You know, like swagging it around. We I got, don't know. Yeah. Uh, 10 to Go. 1, Vanth, Fett, Mando unite the Tuscans. How will the Tuscans... I mean, I think they'll be recruited, but might they work into the story a different way? So I'm not as sure as that... My first three predictions, Fennec Shand, Cad Bane, Boba Fett on the Rancor, Mando uh, with Lil Baby Yoda and the droid port. I'm feeling pretty good with those. Um, Does Luke see the Rancor? That's my that's my like 40 to one long shot. Luke in the Rancor. Luke seeing the Rancor and, and giving a kind of, you know, wink, wink shrug of like, not this again. That's my long shot prediction oh, <laughs> for, for the final. That's cool. I wasn't even that wasn't even floating in my head. Oh my gosh! The, so the, many possibilities, yeah. Matt. Yeah. Wow. Matt Velasco has been here with us for the entire ride through the book of Boba Fett. We're gonna finish things up next week, Matt. Man, thank you so much. It's been such a blast talking with you, and I I can't wait to uh to see where we finish up and to to break it all down with you again next week. Yeah, I might stay up till three three a.m. Uh, Eastern for this finale. We'll and see. watch that one. Yeah, yeah, this this one I'm waiting for too. So, Matt, thank you so much, buddy. You have a, a great week, and I look forward to uh, texting you in a few days when uh, when we both watched it and gone back and forth a little, and then formalizing our thoughts uh, for next week. Great. Take care, Gino. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to discuss on this episode. Of That's what G said. A big thank you to Matt. We are excited, as you can tell, moving forward for the. Finale of the Book of Boba Fett. Incredible last couple episodes. So much nostalgia. So much to discuss and uh, and wrap all up next week. So thank you to Matt for helping us out. Thanks to Eric for talking football with us and all the uh, the news and everything and recapping the fantasy season this year. Hopefully we helped you out with some Wednesday and some Thursday racing. And we'll be back later for later in the week for a big Super Bowl edition of That's What G Said. A couple different guests. We'll talk all about the big game. We'll give you all sorts of different ways you can play it. And we'll give you all the big racing stuff coming up this weekend. We'll also give you this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. So see you soon, folks. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Joey, close this thing out.